Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a big week in gaming. I'm Intergot for episode 17 on Sunday the 8th of November. In this week's show, we'll be discussing the launch of the next-gen consoles, which are just around the corner a couple of days for us. Uh, A surprise, sort of, announcement around Mass Effect. And we'll do a deep dive into our top three most underappreciated games. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the number one Xbox RPG player in all the Southern Hemisphere. That's about a billion people. He's number one. Hall of Famer, Swinney. Hello, hello, hello. I just want to put more sauce on that intro. (laughs) They're actually... uh... They're actually releasing the uh, results of the Xbox Hall of Fame uh, competition next week. And it's interesting <laughs> to see all the people on True Achievements being like, oh, I've played every single Game Pass game. I haven't got anything yet. And it's like, you know, it's going to be it's going to be cool to see um, the outcome of it. That, as we know, a lot of those things are already decided, but the random draws, who knows? Maybe I'll score myself an Xbox Series X. Because are they, are they putting the people who win the hall of fame sorry the like the random prizes into the hall of fame or it's only the ones who kind of quote unquote earned it i don't know i'd say hey if i won the random prize i'd i'd say i'm in the hall of fame (laughs) i'd claim that i'd be like yes i'm already i'm already following a trump style of just saying you're in the hall of fame i'm just gonna keep (laughs) saying it it's gonna get captured in wikipedia one day and then everyone's just gonna think you're in the xbox hall of fame now if they only count the legal achievements and they exclude <laughs> the illegal achievements, I am already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Correct. Stop the count. <laughs> Stop the count from years ago. <laughs> I I, uh, I think the one that the um play every sure see the one that they go play every uh, Xbox Game Pass game. So that that would have included everything that's ever been on there. So yeah, y- you literally can't do anything about it now. Well, almost all of these awards you can't do anything about, pretty much, apart from a couple, right? Like, that were, like, you play during the promotion period to get into the Hall of Fame. There were some categories around, like, State of Decay and Forza Horizon that I think probably would have been a lot more contested. Um, mm. And I think Sea of Thieves had one as well. But Yeah, that's right. That's the uh, one that I was thinking uh, of. Yeah, there's definitely times when like second and third place in let's say this that region the amount of game score or whatever like the where they're a lot more contested and you had a whole bunch of people like i've mentioned it before these people know what they're doing on on these sites the you know they they've because they these sites run competitions all the time um xbox 360 achievements does it all the time where it's like People plan out games where they've they <laughs> get easy. to the point where they're about to unlock like a huge <laughs> number achievement, and then they'll just park it for when they need it. Like they, people are used to this. Um, <laughs> so, so but uh, yeah, I guess uh, I we're, we're going to be talking a lot about next gen um, mm. today, and I actually woke up and. You know, I've been playing through Tales of Vesperia, and I, I left something on overnight. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open up my phone. I'm lying in bed, or the Xbox app. I'm gonna go and check to see if the achievement unlocked um, while I'm just in, you know, lying in bed. <laughs> and I go load it up. Wait, I'm wait, like, can oh. I just pause you? So, is the Xbox right next to you in this scenario that you're talking about? No, no. It's I'm like in my bedroom, and I was playing on PC, so it's on my PC in the like the lounge room, mm. and. So I'm like, okay, I just want to check, you know, to see if it's unlocked or whatever. And I go, I load up the Xbox app and I'm like, oh, it's updated, automatically updated to the new Xbox app. 
the one that's meant for the Series X where it like sets it up for you and everything. I'm like, huh, this is all different. There's like a th- one quarter of the features on this app than there used to be. I'm like, huh, that, that's interesting. Oh, really? Oh, there's no way at all to check any achievement progress on this entire <laughs> app. And I'm like, huh, there's no way to view a store on this app. I'm like, I know that often when you iterate upon or you launch a new version of an app that, you know, you you sometimes scale down to then rescale back up. You know, yeah, simplify. Like just, yeah. Yeah. But, man, people are pissed about this app. Like, just going on seeing people, like, you've removed the ability to do anything that people really cared about, like purchase games on there um, and then download them, you know, in advance. Uh, oh, they've removed that. On the app, yeah. Change Jeez, because I knew about change, that feature. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, change your profile information on the app. Like, you can't do any of that stuff anymore. So I'm like, man, that sucks. And what it made me wonder, and this is obviously a very specific thing for me and, you know, people, crazy people like me, where it seems like Microsoft have really, really de-emphasized achievements this gen. For this Ooh, gen. Like, 100%. Controversial. <laughs> no, because... because Think about it. Think about everything they've talked about in Series X and Series S and all their walkthroughs and everything. They haven't really focused at anything at all on achievements. That's and it makes me true. wonder, That's makes true. me wonder, is it is, like, you know, are we going to see, are we going to see them essentially, you know, begin to really phase that out um, at some point? Because, I mean, Sony's announced more about trophies than Microsoft has about achievements for the next gen, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, because of the show, and normally I'd watch most of the stuff, but, you know, we've been watching everything religiously that's coming out of Sony and Microsoft, and you're right, actually, my recollection, I can't even remember them even saying the word achievement. Now, like, surely if I went through, maybe they would have, but it's certainly not been an emphasis, whereas Sony, many times, you know, I've heard them talk about Platinums, trophies, they've changed the system, the way you level up. Like, they've put a lot of love in that. And and look, like, I think on your point about them, sort of, what did you say about them doing to achievements? Like, they want to sort of... De- de-emphasizing it. Oh, so sure. Yeah, yeah, maybe there, de-emphasize, but, but not get rid of yeah. it or not, like, walk away from it <clears throat> or anything like that. But yeah, probably de-emphasize is the right way to say it. Because it was really it core could... to, like, Xbox 360. Yeah, but it could be a sign of where things are going in the future, though, to me. Um, because... Honestly, achievements, uh, I, I, you know, obviously I love them. I think they're a great concept, but they're probably more than a headache than a benefit to Microsoft at this point um, or Xbox because it does, like, cause a lot of issues for them on the on the, the tech side of, you know, Xbox One had a lot of problems, way more than the 360 with achievements because they, they changed everything to be, you had to be connected online to be able to actually like register any of them. So it caused a lot of problems and so many game, many more games are broken. So mm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. The thing is, right. If, if that's the case, then, you know, it would suck, but at the same time, like I'd still play games, you know, I'd just probably play, you know, I'd, honestly, like my game, <laughs> I do play games more because of that, but I'd still be playing games all the time. So, um, but yeah, it's just something, from a usability standpoint, the app's pretty like pretty piss poor at the moment. But hey, f- hopefully they'll kind of start adding that stuff back in. So mm. yeah, because I heard that um, the PlayStation app's pretty decent. Like I pretty much hear universal acclaim 
about what they've done and what they've changed in that space. So it's an interesting juxtaposition there where one's yeah. kind of gone one way and then the other one's gone the complete other way. Um, never big fan of when they remove core functionality from an app. Like I personally, like the whole app space is starting to annoy me in general. Like there's some really great apps and I think it's really good when things are on the go, but yeah, I, I think too often I find myself, I can't do something in the app that I want to do. And then I just go back to my computer anyway to get things done. And I'm sort of like, oh, why did I even bother in the first place with this? So, Yeah, I have heard, and I can't say I've tested this myself, that apparently the remote play feature on the th- via the new app is also a lot worse than what it was in the previous version. Oh, that's so, really bad. That's way worse. Well, that's the thing. Is, but I, the reason I didn't put that up front and center is because I haven't tried it myself. So the, that's only going off the like the comments that I, the reviews I saw on the App mm. Store, on the Google App Store specifically. So... Um, but yeah, that's, that's not good if that's the case, because that's actually one of the things they're pushing by that new app. So anyway, um, so Intergot, you've been playing anything. So last week I was saying how many games I played and I, I still really want to play Resident Evil 7, but I'm, I actually think I'm just too afraid to play that game because <laughs> there was one time I could have played it and then I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it's really like heavy, that game. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I played a bit of Rocket League, but I, it's been a struggle this week. There's been a lot going on at work. Like I've been working like crazy hours and then um, my son was like a bit sick, like nothing like life threatening or anything, but he was just a bit sick. So, you know, it was one night I pretty much stayed up all night looking after him and then work the next day. I think I literally had three hours sleep in 48 hours. Um, so yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I couldn't squeeze too much gaming time. All I end up playing when I go back to my comfort gaming foods are Rocket League and um, Smash Brothers, if you guys are playing, and then also uh, Mario's Picross on <laughs> Nintendo Switch Online, because I want to finish that game. I've already gone through like three quarters of it on um, Beastness on the emulator, and now that it's on the, the Switch, I'm like, oh, I'll get through all those puzzles again. So that's all I've been playing. How about you? Uh, look, honestly, just... Um... Just Solitarica, which I mentioned last week, I finally beat a completed a run, which I was so happy about. Um, that game can get pretty tough at the, in the in the final, I guess, uh, battles and that. So, beat a run of that. I'm still playing that. Um, and Vesperia, I put so much time in Vesperia, and I should be wrapping it up today, actually, uh, which is cool. Uh, finished my speed run last night. You get you have to beat it under 15 hours, and I beat it in like four hours and one minute. So, I was really happy about that. Um, you, but you beat the whole game in four hours. Yeah, but the the way it works is that when you when you come do your first run through, you mm. can get what's called grade through, um, through various means, and then when you you continue on to new game plus, and there's a grade store, and it says what do you want it, and you can do all these cool stuff like ten times experience, or like you can give yourselves all these cool features all these cool features and everything. So the, the the best way to do it is you do your everything in the first run and then the second run you do your speed the speed run with the grade store um, like features and stuff like that. So you can, and you carry all your items over and everything. So it's just really easy to just run through the game. So when I say four hours, like that's the process everyone does, mm. but I still think that's the fastest I've ever done it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool. I was expecting for some reason to take like six hours. So yeah, really happy oh. with that. But okay. honestly, I haven't 
that's kind of all I've been playing because Vesper is just such a beast. Um, and I'm really looking forward to wrapping it up because I'm going to start getting into Code Vein next week, which is cool. Um, I'm going to be playing that co-op with uh, a friend of the podcast, Mike, who's uh, you mm. know who's been a, a host a couple of episodes back. So yeah, we're looking forward to getting to that. Um, I've only played the first uh, couple of hours of Code Vein. Um, you know, it's from Bad Nine Amco. It's Souls-like, but it's very different in in the same sense. Um, but it, it's cool. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And the other thing I'm really looking forward to is Assassin's Creed Valhalla, of course. Yeah, um, that's the 10th, right? So, yeah, so, you know, last week I mentioned that, you know, as soon as the podcast is finished, I'm first going to buy Nino Kuni on the... Because <laughs> it was on special on the Switch, and I did. You, uh, you thank, just got it within, like, an hour or so. Oh, so happy when you brought it up on the podcast. <laughs> um, because I had an issue, technically, of getting the podcast up, not not on the regular podcast feed, so people skipped ahead, but I think given the timing of when we post and when that deal expired, I, I think technically no one could have really heard <laughs> that was on special. <laughs> Except me, Except so <laughs> it's still worth it. Um, and and then I, you know, had to do just wrap something up with you know we do a little bit of post production on on some stuff on podcasts. Mm. But other than that, then I ran ran to JB Hi-Fi. I'm like, yes, I can go into the store because the shops are open now yeah. in Melbourne. I go in there and I'm like waiting at the game desk. There's no one there. I'm like, okay, I've got to go to the front counter. <laughs> I go there. Can I please, you know, pre order? Assassin's Creed Valhalla Steelbook Edition, and they're like sitting there for ages, and like we can't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? And they're oh. like, there's an there's an error in the system that won't allow us to, <laughs> to do it. And they're like, they since we're getting three copies to this store, and only one of them is pre-ordered, but for some reason it won't allow us to do it. And I'm like, okay, the reason I didn't the reason I didn't want to order it online because you just do that was because I was thinking, okay, it's going to get mailed out days later, and I kind of want to have it on launch day. And yeah, and I, I think with things you really care about, and if you have enough time, so you know some things where you pre-order and it runs out straight away, you have to do it online. But something yeah. like that, I think it's smarter to go in the store, eyeball them, chat to them, make sure that you can see it in the system. Like I think that's so, a good idea. So the solution was uh, this was this was what Sunday. Um, the solution mm. was the uh, uh, the games coordinator. I'm like, okay, that's the title name. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> he's back in on Tuesday. Um, Give give us a call on Tuesday. I'm like, huh? Okay. I'm like, well, Tuesday's a public holiday here in Melbourne. Will <laughs> he be here? They're like, oh yes, yes, he'll be here. No, so they're closed. Then, don't they? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, they okay. said to call. So yeah. and then it hit Tuesday. I'm like, you know what? Bugger this. And I just bought it online. I said, screw that. <laughs> and I just paid. I paid like five bucks for Express next day delivery. So I'm probably going to get it the day after launch. Oh, um, you baller. You baller. So I was like. Bugger! <laughs> just uh, not going to go through this because what I'll rock, rock up to the store again and they'll have the same issue. Whereas I know that I can just purchase it online. So yeah, and and I know I can't talk, but I you know especially with the insane amiibo collection, I guess you can call it. Um, but man, I checked out that steel book. It's so expensive compared to like how much the game you can get normally. Like ah, uh, those things drive yeah. me nuts sometimes. The thing, the thing is, though, that um, it also comes with the season pass for the DLC, and that's actually oh. a significant cost. So, and is it, it one of those seasons more. pass where it's everything, or it's like season one pass? Uh, for Assassin's Creed, that's generally always the case. Yeah. Okay, that's um, all right. Now, well, that's, that's what all right. It, 
what it sometimes won't do, sometimes there's like a super, super duper edition that's got like physical statues and stuff, and it might give you a couple mm. of extra weapons in those. I don't care about weapons in those games oh, yeah. because the stuff that they give you generally is like outclassed within the first few hours of the game anyway. But I just wanted the DLC in the Steelbook. Um, so I got those and yeah. obviously the game. So I'm super pumped. I'm not going to probably give my impression. Uh, you know what? I'll probably just kind of just talk Initial. about it next Initial week. Impression. Initial yeah. Um, but that that game's going to be a beast, so I'll probably wait until the week after to give, I guess, give a like a proper review or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, no, that makes sense. It's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, I know that you're a huge um, fan of Assassin's Creed, but I do huge. think that the series in general has made a massive resurrection. Just like from my perspective, as not a fan or not like I don't really have a view on it, to be perfectly frank. But, um, you know, from an outsider's perspective, almost on it, I think people were starting to get a bit sick of the franchise. And then, you know, the last couple of installments, I think people sort of have bought in. And you, you hear now even random people defending the franchise. So it's going to be... I think this one's really critical. And it's, there's quite a bit of hype about this game. Like, if you're actually yeah. looking at um, the sales charts and things like that, this is like one of the top next-gen games. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it runs on the next-gen consoles, which... uh, Are you happy with that segue? Let's get into it. (laughs) So, like, we thought, given that we're on the cusp, so when we're recording, it's the 8th, the Xbox Series X is coming out in two days, uh, and the Series S as well, and then um, the PlayStation 5 is coming out in four days after we record this. So, next-gen's right around the corner. It actually... It felt... I don't know to you, like, just in general... It felt like such a long and short simultaneously lead up to these consoles because it's almost like normally you see them a lot earlier, you can pre-order them a lot earlier. So that kind of hype that was building up about it, it just felt like it was going on forever. And then when you actually look at the whole window, it's actually been fairly short of, you know, hey, these are the consoles and this is when it's going to be released and this is how much they cost. Did, did you, Do you have that feeling about this, this launch or...? Yeah, the same. And mm. in terms of the it feeling long and then short, it it almost mirrors like everything else that's going on in the world at the moment. And that's, yeah, that whole perception of time is that you know that's everything true. from April to like September ish just felt so long. And it feels like since then everything's just like I can't believe we're you know already in the eighth of November. It feels like you know this month is going already going so quick and. Mm. That's what I felt about these consoles is that ever since, I guess, we, you know, like I'd say since July, August, it feels like things have just now happened, come come up so quickly, whereas before it just felt so long. And I think that's just because everything felt so long. Um, but you're right. Normally there's a much longer lead up. Lead up. Normally it's we get the proper, you know, unveiling the E3 prior and then the next E3 will be kind of where they really dig into it and then they launch mm. in that holiday period. So it's kind of, yeah, it's actually been a way shorter cycle than, than normal, I reckon. Yeah, and I, I think, like, you know, the way memory works, it's sort of, like, dependent on how many, how much stuff has happened, and then that gives you a sense of how much time has passed. Because, you, know, I, I you know, my phone randomly shows me images and photos that have happened. And like, I don't know what the algorithm it is, but it just shoots things out. And one of them was, it showed me, um, you know, me going to a tool concert this year. And I was like, 
wait, I went to that concert this year? It literally feels like years ago. And then it's also weird, weird in the whole context with coronavirus. I was like literally in a concert, stacked with people sweating all over each other. And that was February of this year. And it just feels like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I can't even imagine myself going to a concert for a long time, to be perfectly honest. Like, I'm pretty conservative with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's been a funny, funny, funny year. And these consoles, I don't know, it just really came up very quick. Like, all of a sudden, I was listening to podcasts and people are like, oh, the consoles are coming out next week. I'm like, oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> like, they really are. And it's, it, it, yeah, like, the lineup, it's interesting, dude. Like, I, I want to be hyped. And I am actually hyped about them because I think the SSDs are really, really cool. But I just feel like there's never been a launch that's so iterative and evolutionary, Mm. not revolutionary. So I definitely feel that about the Xbox side. I think everyone would probably agree that, you know, it feels like almost like just the next, you know, iteration of the Xbox one kind of, you know, line from the Xbox one Xbox One X2. Yeah. Um, And, the yeah the launch lineup is probably the biggest thing with that and honestly if you know and that's because the absence of halo you know we know the reason for that um whereas the playstation side does feel a lot more like a traditional next gen launch but it's kind of when you combine it with the xbox side definitely um but both platforms you know more than ever have are now just like well backwards compat you know like we Mm we kind of forget that backwards compatibility like wasn't even there for the Xbox One at launch. You know, that came after. Um, oh, for, you know, a, that, for a second, I thought you were talking about the Xbox OG. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's really mm. this generation where it's become almost the standard. Now, I know that I know that consoles have had backwards compatibility before. You know, the PS2 had it, you know, for, for PlayStation and stuff. And, you know, some of the versions of PS3 and then they start, you know, having different versions that didn't have it. The Wii... You know, some versions of the Wii, the good versions, could play GameCube games. And, you know, like, it's not a new thing, but it's almost like it's been a a much bigger focus this this gen, this next-gen launch. And especially on the Xbox side, because they've had to focus on that. Um, You know, they've they've got a couple of, you know, good good games at launch, but they haven't got that killer app. Um, And so they've had to kind of focus on, especially first-party app, um, they've had to focus on everything else you know so Mm. so i mean yeah there's like two big things that i want to chat about there so like the lineup versus the backwards compatibility stuff in terms of the lineup for me personally like i really feel and and, you know i think you and i even though you know i I joke that you're an xbox fanboy i don't think either of us is too biased to the consoles like in terms of we have an allegiance and you know we won't judge things as as independently as we can you know, I love a lot of Nintendo stuff, but there's reasons why I love that. Um, and I, I definitely think I have a bit of nostalgia goggles with some of their games. But with the Xbox Series X, just again, to me, it's sort of like, I just feel like you're not going to miss out on anything if you're playing in your current setup, like Xbox One X. Like if you have that, it's like, uh, I just, to me, there's no compelling reason to switch. Whereas with the PlayStation 5, at least for me, you know, and, and we're not talking about this in its own segment, but the whole, I don't know if you watched the Demon's Souls um, state of play that just got released last night. So that went for like about 12 minutes. 
Like that game to me looks like that next gen game. Hmm. And it's like exclusive. You can only play it on the PS5. Then there's um, Astrobot, which also to me seems like such a cool experience. Ratchet and Clank's right around the corner and just kind of like, you know, as someone who's not really like pro PlayStation or Xbox too much, I've had both consoles. I just feel like, you know, the lineup with uh, PlayStation 5 is more compelling. Like, it's more of a reason to get one. Like, you feel like you're missing out. It's that FOMO. It's like, oh, geez, that Demon Souls games look incredible. And it's the only place to play it. Whereas, you know, pretty much everything on the Xbox, apart from, uh, you know, something we will talk about, the medium, um, is is sort of like on both or on prior consoles. Yeah, definitely. And the you look at the PlayStation lineup and, you know, Astro... Astro looks amazing. The only thing about Astro is I don't know how much of a fully featured game it is. I know it's a pack-in. Um, so... It's about three hours if you just get through it. Okay. So I think so that's it's, not a I full, think it's... full featured game. Yeah. So, um, but it's it looks amazing. Um, and it, you know, is it, it's, a, it's a showcase just like, you know, Nintendo yeah. would do. It's a showcase for, for, you know, the new haptic stuff and everything like that. Um, and for me, yeah, Demon's Souls is is the the launch game you oh, know that so is good, that dude. is the that is the Holy one moly. you know you know <laughs> if you don't if you really don't care about demon souls then maybe you know spider-man miles morales will will kind of be your launch game um, yeah. they're kind of the two big ones um, especially on the playstation side because they're obviously exclusive um now something like godfall i know we've crapped on godfall but um <laughs> there's that game like I, what something I've said I haven't said before is that you know that game has potential. It's just I think the marketing has really failed it. Um, that every time they've shown it off, they've shown it off in a way that just looks very unappealing. Um, so there's some people that obviously might be excited for that. It is exclusive. Um, well, it's only a temporary exclusive. Temporary Coming exclusive. To, it's like six months, well, I think. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think that's. That's likely, and that's they said. Okay, it's exclusive this period of time, but I mean, there's nothing officially announced that it would be coming to. Xbox. Oh, I thought it came out just the other day that it's going to come out to Xbox no, that, Series X. That's that's the um, that's people musing on the fact that it's a timed exclusive. So it's ah, likely, okay. it is very likely that's the case. Yeah, it's um, almost certain that it will. Yeah. But yeah, and. And then we've got, you know, a whole bunch of games that are being, um, you know, either getting huge expansions at the time, you know, of the launch, like Destiny 2, um, or, you know, No Man's Sky, where, you know, they're getting significant enhancements for next gen. So on the PlayStation side, oh, I'm sorry, and you've got, you know, big third parties that are launching both on next gen and current gen. So, you know, talked about Valhalla, Black Ops, Cold War, mm. which is a huge deal. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It, and Call of Duty, that's going to be like the number one game. On, on yeah. next gen. I mean, you can look at that in the sales charts. It's already number one. Um, yeah. And, yeah uh, and, and, and Assassin's Creed is going to be massive as well. You're yeah. right. And, you know, Watch Dogs Legion has already come out now, but now obviously it's coming on next gen. Actually, did you hear something funny about um, the procedurally generated NPCs in Watch Dogs Legion? No. What happened? So it's, you know how they, they procedurally generate all the NPCs and they get, they'll give them... Um, occupations but then also like tidbits about them mm-hmm. so one was this is no joke uh pediatrician and the yeah. tidbit was has ended a relationship with a former uh, uh client, <laughs> client. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, dear oh but, dear 
I also don't want to forget, like, the Sorry. Pathless does look very good um, <laughs> on the PS5. And mm. um, as much as people laugh about, you know, and while it's cross-gen, you've got, you know, cool games like Bug, Bug Snacks, which is on PS Plus. So, you know, that'll be that'll be a game that a lot of people will probably play because it'll be free on, on there. And it's such a smart idea. Such a smart idea. Because yeah. it also helps people, you know, like, people always forget there's going to be people who <clears throat> have been off PlayStation and go, hey, you know what, I missed PS4. PS5 plays all of PS4 practically. You know, why don't I jump on this new generation? There's a, there's a bunch of people that go through that cycle. Yeah. So this just helps push them even further. And along with, hey, here's 19 games that come mm. with PS Plus Collection, which are insanely good games. Um, and also just on that quickly, we've got confirmation that the way it works is pretty much how PS Plus works now, which is... You, you have the games on your profile if you've downloaded them or like it's basically like buy them quote unquote but they're free um, and then they links it to your account and as long as your account's active you have the games so if you deactivate it and activate it later you'll, you'll have the games on your profile which is actually really interesting to know and I wonder when they're going to expire because I don't feel like licensing they won't have that forever so so you should just go and get them all and even if you don't plan on playing them for ages, if that's well, yeah, the way it works. And we still don't know how it works. So we'll have to wait till mm. Thursday because they keep on emphasizing that you have to do it on the PlayStation. So currently with PS4, you can do it in the app or the web app. So if you can do it there, it, it's almost worthwhile getting a month trial just to add them all to your profile. Yeah. And another game that is on both that... Honestly, the more I see about it, the more I hear about it, the more that it actually looks really cool. It's actually Dirt 5 of all games. <laughs> I was going to joke and say Need for Speed. Um, yeah, so Dirt 5 yeah, actually looks... When you watch the next gen... Looks yeah, insane. when you next watch the next gen footage of that, it's really cool. And we'll talk a bit about Codemasters later as well. But um, I guess, look, on the PlayStation side, look, you can't go past Demon's Souls and Spider-Man. Um, they mm. are huge hitters for a launch. Uh, and then, as you said, with Ratchet around the corner, which looks like they're a truly next gen game. Yeah. Um, yeah, PlayStation definitely is from the game standpoint for next gen things you can only play. You know, as you mentioned, FOMO. It's it's PS Five um, for the Xbox One side. So, you know, they may have the numbers in terms of obviously the overall. Um, you know, they've got everything on Game Pass and stuff like that. But they just don't have those huge hitters. And their huge hitters are third parties that are on PS5 as well. So, mm. you know, if you care about Black Ops and Valhalla, well, you can play it on either. So there's no reason for either of them. Um, there is actually one game that um, actually does look pretty cool. And it's almost like <laughs> you got the Pathless on the PS5 side and you got the Falconeer on mm. the Xbox One side. The Falconeer actually looks really, really cool. Uh, very different style of game. Falconeer is kind of almost like a Panzer Dragoon style game or like a Star Fox, um, as opposed to Pathless, which is, you know, like an like an adventure game. Um, but uh, yeah, the Xbox, I mean, probably the biggest thing I'd say call out um, that's exclusive is, you know, Yakuza, which will eventually come to PS, PS5 uh, and is on PS4, going to be, you know, available um mm earlier as well but um if you want to play next gen yakuza you've got to play it on xbox one until march um mm. and honestly gears tactics um because which you is know, a game that people are sleeping on yeah and because it's this that game got really good reviews and when it came out on pc in april but i mean it hasn't it's not coming out hasn't come out on console until now so it's uh yeah 
I think that's that's actually good, but it's not going to move the needle. You know, like we know that, you know, also Gears 5 is getting significant enhancements, but mm. it's hard for me to consider that a launch game. You no, know, it's not. Yeah, it's like, it's, but it's, the work they've done on that is way more than just, you know, than let's say, oh, we just make it run in a high resolution. They've actually done a lot of work there, but that work was probably also in place from the PC version that was there. So, yeah. But yeah. overall, I mean, you know, the, there's quite a few, there are smaller titles in Xbox One launch that may not be on PS5 right away. Um, it's hard to kind of also look this stuff up because it's so messy with, okay, is it in the list of launch games because it's available just by smart delivery? Well, is that technically next gen or not? <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, yeah. it recognizes which console you have and then downloads the assets for that console. So it's hard to kind of say, okay, is that technically next gen? It's weird. This this whole lineup thing, especially on the Xbox side, is just it's really weird this time. Um, but it's kind of cool. Like the smart delivery thing is great that you only have to buy it once, you know. So it's while we're kind of saying it's like we're kind of crappy on that a little bit. It's technically and from a consumer standpoint, it's actually really good. But definitely, when you talk about the lineup, PS Five, uh, that's the one that's got it. Yeah, and then, you know, on that backwards compatibility point that we mentioned earlier, you know, and we, well, probably I got a little bit attacked by people around backwards compatibility because I was always a bit wary of it. And I've always felt, you know, whenever Sony has to rely on anything software to do emulation or backwards compatibility, they always have issues versus Microsoft. They're almost at a point where, you know, they're so good at that stuff that it's pretty in- indistinguishable like in terms of the backwards compatibility if they're using anything of the software and you know we've even seen and you know there was a story last week around Assassin's Creed um Syndicate that that was one of the games that wouldn't like they kind of almost said it wouldn't work on the PS5 and then quickly Ubisoft retracted that statement but you're hearing now from hands-on with people and what happens is a lot of the games on the PS5 that have the PS4 backwards compatibility. I don't know if you know this, but when they load, it actually gives you a warning message saying huh. saying that there's there's there may be issues with this game and and graphical artifacts and things like that. And then just hearing people play really big games like you know Assassin's Creed Syndicate, they're like, oh, the textures are weird and there's weird stuff in the game itself. And I, I it- just don't think it's a one for one. I don't think like. Xbox version of backwards compatibility is equal to PlayStation's version of backwards compatibility, even though people are talking about it interchangeably. What would really suck, and I hope this isn't the case, is that you you know you're playing like Syndicate, which is a great game by the way. Um, mm. But it's you know it's also significantly it's a, it's a massive game, and if you get all the way through, or you're getting a good way through the game, and then suddenly you hit. Um, game-breaking glitch because of backwards compatibility, that would really suck. I really yeah. hope that's not the case because at that point, um, you may not be able to progress. I'm not sure if you can then sync your save back to your old console to keep playing it. Probably not. You know, I, I find that would probably be difficult to do. Yeah. Um, so at that point, you're kind of screwed unless they patch the game. And they probably, I'd say bigger publishers would probably patch the games if it's, you know, if it's something simple, but um, there's a mm. lot of games that wouldn't be patched. You know, yeah, and if, I think that's for that games that are, like, selling, right? So maybe it's a year or two old. It's still selling. You want to patch that and make sure it works. But for a game that, 
It's only seeing modicum of sales. It's just not going to stack up economically to go back and fix things. Hmm. And and it, to me, it, it's concerning when you have developers who are trying to actively make it work. You know how there's that now infamous, I guess, list of games that don't work on the PS5 from the PS4. And some of the developers are still going, oh, we don't know why this is not working. And I'm like, that's hmm. just like odd to me. Like that's, it does really make me wonder, you know, once this goes out into the mainstream, the amount of YouTube videos we watch on, you know, stuff that just doesn't work and, and just like a bit of a mess because of backwards compatibility. And then the next one is like, I wonder, and you will never know this, but I wonder how much work CD Projekt Red had to do to make sure they're removing any of those graphical artifacts. Because from my perspective, Cyberpunk is just going to be regarded as a launch window title for uh, the next-gen consoles. More so if it came out when it was meant to, but I acknowledge now that it's December 10, it's like kind of out of that window, um, even the you know more liberal window that you could give it. But I think most people, when they think about that game in 10 years' time, will think it's a PS5 slash Xbox Series X game more than it's a last-gen game. Well, you, um, even, you even had Control, um, like Remedy... Uh, I'm not sure if it's Remedy or 505 that announced it, but basically saying that the next-gen version of Control... Is not actually going to be ready till next year now. So yeah, well, there's and, been a few delays in that way. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get onto another one soon. But the, uh, the one thing I, I forgot to mention, uh, call out in the Xbox lineup. Um, although this one's a bit of a kind of you know this this context of this one um, is Tetris Effect connected. You know that's actually oh yeah that's actually yeah. a really great launch title. The thing is with that is that eventually the you know I guess the connected version or the, you know a whole bunch of that stuff will be available as like. I'm not sure if it's paid or a free update for the te- the standard version Tetris Effect on on PlayStation 4 at least, uh, which I guess will be backwards compatible on PlayStation 5. God, it's so confusing. But um, <laughs> so Tetris Effect Connected is really really cool. I think to have on launch. Um, again, it's not you know especially considering it's like just a, it's an upgraded port basically. Um, it's not what you'd consider like a you know a, a killer app. But mm. that, I just wanted to call that out. I forgot about that one. So yeah. And then, you know, just going back to the, you know, like the games and the new features, you know, for me, you know, 30,000 foot version, like, hey, what's what's new in next gen? To me, like so far, both consoles, the discussions around ray tracing, that's one thing. Uh, the other one is now it's this juxtaposition, not juxtaposition, but the choice that gamers need to make between do they want to play in performance mode or quote unquote cinematic mode? in games it seems like so many games are going to force you or at least have that option which i know is in some games but it seems like that's now becoming like a standard thing in games which mm-hmm. a bit odd to me um and then obviously then the headline feature of of the next gen is the ssd outside of that yes i, I don't really see anything else like that people are really saying okay this is thrusting forward this is you know, I could go back to the other generations. I mean, for God's sakes, like we're talking about, hey, you can play online with your friends. Like that's a feature. Like that's huge. Yeah. You know, the, SSD is the closest thing to being the big feature, I think, in this console. Yeah. And on the SSD, so they it came out this week, the the Series S, which um, is it 500 or 512 um, gig? What's the size for the Series S again? It's 512. 512. Like, you know, that's that's, by the way, whenever we say that, that's the you know kind of manufacture 512 that doesn't mean that's usable, yeah. usable so, space, which is what you're getting to yeah 
Yeah, so the usable space, it came out that it will have 364 gig of usable space. <laughs> and, and I, like, you know, on, on some forum threads, um, you know, where where I roam, um, I'm like, yeah. anybody that defends this is in denial. And, oh, my God, pe- some people were pissed about that. Or Oh, really? Well, okay, not pissed, Why? but they were like, oh, no, this is fine. It's a win-win for me. And I'm like... How's How like I didn't mean? bother responding to these people because I'm like at this point you're just you are those fanboys you're like how is 364 like they've already announced that on PS5 so I'm not sure about Xbox Series S or X um that on PS5 uh Black Ops Cold War is like 150 gig download without Warzone because I'm guessing they're adding Warzone I'm not sure about that I don't know enough about the next Call of Duty but I'm like okay. So if you want to play the next Call of Duty on your Series S, which a lot of people will want to, that's possibly going to take up close to more than a third of your your hard drive in one game. Now that's yeah. it. That is, um, that is on the upper end of things. I understand that. There's a lot of games, especially you know a lot of smaller Game Pass games, where you're not going to get you know anything close to over 100. But 364 gig, that's like 360 era sizes. You know, it's. <laughs> It's kind of, especially for a console, and I know it doesn't make as much difference these days because you have to still install them, but, um, you know, that's a digital-only console. So it's kind of like, at that point, now, we know you can have your cold storage games on a, on a like a, a regular old USB hard drive that's not like an NVMe kind of fancy SSD one. So you can do your cold storage on that stuff, but anything you actually want to play, you know, you have to, has to be stored on that um, SSD or you have to fork out. Do we know what was the Australian cost of the expansion pack? It was like 300 and something bucks, wasn't it? 380, I think. And I was just on the eBay site before and it's sold out. So I don't think you can get it at launch. Like, but even if you were to buy an Xbox Series S and go, oh, wait, this this is really this is getting tricky. I'm going to go get me an expansion pack, and you can get one. Then suddenly, you've already spent the cost of a Series X. Correct, and plus, you know, I, I know I keep saying it, but that fifty dollar difference that they <laughs> baked into the price. I mean, it does add up, though, dude. Yeah, yeah, like I it know. gets you closer to the Series X. And you're right, like <clears throat> you know, the extra space that you get, you know, it's extra half gig space on the hard drive with the Series X compared to the Series S. Like, that's massive. And, you know, I know that you before you were saying, hey, it's just call, like, it's Call of Duty, but Call of Duty will be the number one game that comes out on the next yes, gen. Yes, yes. So the number one game is going to take up a third of your space. And, and what it reminds me of is actually very last gen, last, 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 last gen. You remember back in the day with stuff like the PlayStation, the memory cards? That's exactly what I was thinking of. It's like games <laughs> that would just take the whole memory card. Yeah, the memory card, you have like slots on, on physically. This is really dating us now. Um, you know, you'd have, you could write down what game is on there because you could only fit one to three, maybe, you know, game saves. And game saves, by the way. Um, yeah, so that's what it really reminds me of. And uh, I have to say, I really, you know, I'm sure you're the same. A lot of people ask me about technical stuff or tech stuff and gaming. Like, hey, you know, my kid wants to buy this or I want to get that. Should I get this or should I get that? I have to say, I was almost like on the side that, hey, I think the Series S is not too bad to recommend to people. I'm completely off it now. Because this hard drive is just farcical. It just won't I, fit things. If I know the, If I know someone is only 
gonna play maybe a couple of games and that's all they'll ever really play like someone will pick up your fifa or they'll they'll play battlefield or something you know if i know that they're not going to need it then i'd still be like okay look yeah this is the case but if you run into any issues you know you may need to upgrade in the future but it's the thing for me as well is that you know the the i guess one of the okay things about this is if you if you are an existing Xbox One owner and you already use an external drive like I do and most people, mm. is that all that stuff you can just plug straight in. So you can, anything that's exp- like from last gen backwards compatible, you don't have to use that space up with that. You know, you can just plug that hard drive straight in and, and just continue to use that because any backwards compact games don't need to be loaded off the SSD. But you know, though, especially for anyone that's going to pick up a Series S that hasn't had an Xbox in a while, maybe not mm. since the 360, they, it's, yeah, it's going to hit them because they're going to be, oh, yeah, 364 gig, that sounds huge. You know, why do I need more than that? And then they don't realize that Call of Duty is 150 gig or so. Now, the Series S is probably, the assets are probably going to be lower than that, but still, yeah, knowing but not, that though. they'll, like... each update will add another 20 gig onto that, you know, and, it's like so. Call of Duty on PS Five could end up being over two hundred by the end of it. Like, unless they are smarter about the way they handle their updates. Yeah, I, I'm just not. They're not though. Like you know, and I actually will rate what Microsoft says. I think they've changed a lot. I think you can actually, you know, defer to what they're saying as being honest. But I think the whole, I'm not saying they're being dishonest, but their whole ploy around, hey, you know, because it's the Series S and it doesn't really natively output to 4K, but it can, by the way, like, which is kind of odd. I think it can, I'm not 100% sure, I should have checked this. I think it might even be able to output to 8K, but it just generally doesn't because it's not powerful enough. But regardless, they're they're relying on publishers and developers to optimize for the Series S, the assets. I'll tell you what, to be perfectly frank, dude, if I, you know, and I'm more of a business person, but if I was running a studio, I would say, don't bother about that. Just release the game. Like, don't, don't spend any time on that. Because what gain will I have by doing that? Nothing. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have one less sale because someone goes, oh, it's a little bit too big. It's 80 gigabytes instead of 70. But no the thing is, they, they may be forced to if they want to release on Xbox because the a lot of those higher res things may not even be supported by the S. No, 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 but they've already said it's up to the publishers and developers, right? So you have to have the assets there that downscale. But a lot of the developers already do that because they've got PC and lo- lots uh, of stuff happening. So you're saying to not include it in the download, the smart delivery kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll just yeah. say don't bother about it. Just like yeah. release the exact same version on the Series X as the Series S. Like, yeah. because you want to code it in such a way it can run on either. But I'm not going to manipulate the install size so the Series S, you know, is slightly smaller than the Series X. That's just what, like, all, like businesses look at this stuff and just go, will I lose one sale by doing, by not doing it? No. Am I going to spend money to do it? Yes. Why would I do it? It's, it's actually economically illogical to do it. And I, I think most of them won't do it. I mean, it seems like already the biggest ones aren't doing it and they have the most resources to be able to do that kind of stuff. But we don't we don't know about it, the Series S install size of Call of Duty, I don't think, yet, do we? 
Uh, no, uh, I don't don't know if we know how the but approach. Microsoft's that. already said that they think about thirty five percent of them will do it. Mm-hmm. I remember Phil Spencer talking about it. But re- regardless, I mean, it's it's a pitiful it, amount of space. Like there's, yeah. there's no defending it, um, and you can the arguments that people say is well, you know, SSDs like the cost, blah blah blah. Well, to me, I know SSD is like the key, the corner feature of this gen, but as soon as you start making it actually potentially um, hamper someone's experience playing games and trying to access games, then to me it's almost like almost detrimental. But we'll see. We'll see whether or not it becomes an issue with, um, you know, like the Series X and the PS5, which have, you know, like 800 or gig so usable space in their drives um, or mm. I think slightly less for the PlayStation. But um, it's... You know, we'll see whether or not that it becomes a future uh, an issue in the future for what I'd consider, you know, the 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 proper consoles, <laughs> the pro- the ones the ones that people. <laughs> uh, what an elitist! What an elitist! Uh, hey, don't you forget, Daddy Spencer said that it's going to be the number one seller, the Series S. Well, was so the Xbox important. Like, was Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty Arcade the top seller? Because that's yeah, how I, I compare no, the I think it's Series really S to that. I think well, it's totally different to that. Uh, it's still like you. St- if anything, it's worse because no, like, no, that's no, extreme, dude. That's extreme. No, what you're saying? No, let me explain. The Xbox Arcade was the same technically as the re- as the normal 360. It was just the fact that it didn't come with an inbuilt hard drive. It came in. It gave you these memory things, right? Yeah, which was a massive problem. Yeah, that was a massive problem, but the actual Series <laughs> S is actually way less powerful than the Series X, so it's worse in when you compare the two, the dis- the disparity between the versions of each, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah um, but I mean, it's not necessarily 100% true what you're saying, because yeah, yes, it is less powerful. It's not like the PS5. PS5 Digital and then the PS5 Disc Edition are the same CPU, RAM, it's everything. significantly less powerful. No, 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 We've but what I'm saying numbers. is... No, no, let, let me finish my point. It's that they are outputting to different resolutions. And I get that. I actually, that's what I do on my PC. I have a 1440p monitor and a 14, oh, sorry, a 1080 monitor. And I actually game mostly on the 1080 because I output at 1080 and then I get a higher frame rate. So for me, it feels like the same quality as the 1440, right? So like, it's a little bit like that. It's yes, mm. the actual machine is less powerful, but it's pumping out less so then from a frames, you're around the same. It's just the fidelity of the image is less. Mm. But then, uh, or, by the way, I think most people, well, not most, but a vast majority of people don't even have 4K or haven't even set up their 4K TVs correctly oh, in the first place. 100%. Like, I don't have 4K TVs. Yeah, so, so you're not like, going to notice the difference. It's actually uh, not going to perform no, that much better. Uh, give it give it a, a year, and I reckon we'll start to see games that are running way... Like, are running... Way, I'm trying to think the be, the best way to explain it. Like I reckon we'll start, it. so it's going to yeah. become like the base model of the I, Xbox I, One and PS. I reckon 4. we'll start to see similar to mm. how games struggle Maybe. on the Xbox One versus the Xbox One X. I reckon we'll start to see that happen, not at to begin with, but okay. I think we'll start to see that become a thing where it's like we'll have, uh it struggles on the Series S, but it, and it runs smoother on the Series X. You know, I reckon we'll see that um, because. The whole like I understand what you're saying 100, and it, and it, it's it's all it's all correct. I just think that 
at some point something's got to give with that the less computing power and i think i think we'll see some games struggle with it so yeah and look for me like the way i look at it you know and, and by the way we haven't even really said where we landed with these consoles because last week you know i told you that i got um game pass i think that was last week right yeah um and you know by the way in our notes i've created a chart which shows how the amortized amount that i've spent on game pass versus <laughs> how much i've saved on not getting it so like i've got like a graph and i want to see if it actually stays above it from a cumulative perspective that's crazy um, that's crazy <laughs> but uh what well, yeah so that triggered me to go hey you know what i might get like series x and and we will talk about this news later there is a game that got announced as part of xbox game pass that i'm super excited about and i was kind of like oh okay these kind of games are coming on xbox but then it's coming on pc and and ultimately i guess where i'm landing with this generation i just feel like you know i've got a very beefy pc it's probably more powerful than the next gen consoles number one and then i've got like like it's almost for me it feels like it's illogical for me to get a series x given that i've got game pass pc it would make way more sense to get a playstation 5 eventually to complement that that setup you know what i mean yeah Mm. And and where are you landing? How, like, do you have a gut feel as to when you'll get a? Because you you are gonna get as Xbox Series X eventually. Oh, 100%. but is that is that within a year? You reckon? Is that? Um. Well, <laughs> if <laughs> I mean, if you, if you saw it in the store, <laughs> now we've already no, confirmed. No, no. We've already confirmed with the store because I've got a one because I've got a one X that is is doing me fine at the moment. There's... No, no, no. But okay, can I can I play? Can I paint the scenario? Can I paint the scenario? So you're playing Valhalla on the One X. It's struggling a bit. You're hearing all these, you know, reports about how beautifully smooth it runs on the Series X. And then you see one in the store, <laughs> the Series X. What I do you went do? through that exact process with um, <laughs> Origins, Assassin's Creed Origins. The exact so same you are thing buy happened. It. No, no. So the exact same thing happened with Origins on Xbox One and the One X. Yeah, is that the One X was running the ran the game. Apparently, way smoother and nicer and everything, which it did. But um, the playing through of One X was was still fantastic. So um, I think that's probably going to be the exact same with Valhalla because they're usually really good at um, optimizing the games, uh, Ubisoft, all that stuff. With um, with the One X, as I mentioned before, if as, as soon as they turn around and say, "Okay, this game has been ported," and it's such a weird thing to know the whole port, but backwards compatibility thing now. But if they port and make, okay, here's a remastered version of a game that I really like. Mm. Um, you know, not that this would ever happen, but let's say Final Fantasy 13 trilogy gets a remaster in the next gen or something, right? Not that and people are screaming out for that. So that's just an example. I'd probably <laughs> yeah, be like, not. <laughs> okay, then that's an example when I would actually pick it up, just like I picked it up when um, the Xbox One, when they announced Dark Souls 2 Scholar of First Sin. So there's something that, you know, or of course a brand new game. Like if Elden Ring turns out to be um, next gen only, um, which mm, is Which probably, I think it will. Yeah, which I agree. Um, but the thing is, I don't think that game's out for a while. But let's say it turns out that's a mm. game coming out in March, right? It's not. But let's, an example. I'd <laughs> be getting be one then. I'd be getting one then. So it's an example of like, it, yeah, it's going to take it. a game or like, a, a really cool remaster of a game with a separate achievement list that's going to get me across. So. How about Final Fantasy VII Remake if that only came out on Xbox Series? 
I probably wouldn't pick it up just for that. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, my feelings on that game are, you know, slightly complicated. Um, but that's a that's a that's a separate thing. But uh, I look, I will be picking one up. It's just I'm probably not going to pick one up for, um, you know, I'd say March, April at the earliest. Um, unless unless there's a reason that we think, you know, that I'm like, okay, it makes sense for the show. That's I'll say the one the one <laughs> you know I've been waiting for this excuse no, to come out. No, no, no. The, show. The, the thing is, if something comes, if a game comes out, it's like okay. We need to with something you know. Like I've never had that justification <laughs> before. That's the only yeah. other reason. But I don't think I can't see that happening before before like that March April, which is probably when I'd you know consider picking one up. So. Mm. And it's interesting because you're right, though, like just talking about the games, so many games that are getting announced even after the next gen's out, they're actually talking about the games coming out for current gen or soon to be last gen. So there's a massive lag um, for the system. And that that includes an announcement that just uh, happened overnight. So Mass Effect, the long rumored game, uh, we've already spoken about it, like that it's definitely coming out. And finally... It's been um, unveiled by Bioware on N7 Day, as we uh, predicted. And actually kind of worked out almost exactly how we predicted. We said that they'll make like an announcement the day before to say, or a couple of days before to say, hey, this game's like, there's a special thing that we want to announce, which is, I don't know if you saw that uh, tweet from EA, like they did that the other day to say, hey, there's something big coming. Um, So again... The, and and I do like that the fact that in the um, release they acknowledged that they couldn't keep it a secret. They wanted to, but it's Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which we've already uh, covered, and it does include all the single player base content DLC from the trilogy, including all the promo weapons, packs, armors, and interesting. Yes, it's been remastered and optimized for 4K. So. It sounds like they've actually put a lot of effort into getting uh, this game up and running. It's going to come no, out. That's a reason to get a 4K TV for me. <laughs> <laughs> really interesting. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see these games in 4K. Well, it, it looks, yeah. Like, we haven't seen gameplay footage of it. It's just a teaser trailer. And there's, there's also, uh, yeah, and we should say, it's coming out on the Xbox One, PS4, and PC. And they've quoted it as, this is, a, I've no, I haven't actually heard this term, with forward compatibility <laughs> for Xbox Series <laughs> X and PlayStation 5. And essentially, it seems like they're going to do some enhancements for it, but it, it doesn't at this stage seem like they're going to make it a Xbox Series X and PS5 game, maybe down the track. But um, every, but every, like, that's why it's so muddy. We just spent a whole second so talking weird. about it. Is yeah. every game that comes out at this point, you assume that you're going to. It's, you know, down the line, going to be able to go on a PS5 or a Series X on the digital store and purchase this game. You know, even if it was well, made be. for last gen. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like it's it's so essentially it is coming out on next gen. It's just that that whole the lines are blurred now. It's so it's so weird. Yeah, and you'll get like people have already said it that you know, and we spoke about it in the last segment. But there are some games when you play it, it is a little bit odd on next gen. Because of the speed, you know, we've mentioned this on the podcast before somewhat erroneously, but, you know, once the clock speeds go up, some games aren't coded to acknowledge that the clock speed could be higher uh, and it can cause some weird issues underneath the engine. Um, But look, I think this is super exciting news. Like as you, uh, 
you know, harshly judged me in my pile of shame of games that I haven't played. <laughs> I've only fired up Mass Effect 1 and played it for, I don't know, like three or four hours, I think. And it wasn't that I think it was a bad game. It just kind of fell off the radar for me and then I never got back to it. But I'm actually super keen on this because I always wanted to play this trilogy. I know that, you know, the third game is a bit sort of controversial. It's going to be super interesting to see if they're doing anything about that because they have said in this release that they're trying to modernize the game but retain the core of it. Mass Effect 3 is a good game that unfortunately is... Is is scarred by um, what happens at the end, and unfortunately, that that leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth. So that's why a lot of people but, don't like it. So. But this is where I'm coming from. Maybe they, I, I don't know what it is, and I don't want to know. But you know, you never know. They might they might do something about that in the, in this trilogy remaster. I, um, I bloody hope so because I've got an mm. easy out, and with you know, I'm not going to get into spoiler territory. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't um, want to do that. There, there's an easy out for it, but we'll see if they've got the balls to do it. And, and, you know, like, I think the thing here is that the reason why I think this is really headline news as well is that they've also then confirmed that Bioware and and the way that they frame this around a veteran team is working on the next chapter of the Mass Effect universe, which I think is very exciting news for all fans of the franchise. As long as Casey Hudson is involved, that's all I need. Um, Well, it's it's almost certain because he's actually penned this letter. Yeah. So I, I take that for, you know, he's definitely involved. So I think it's like great news for Mass Effect fans. You know, I know that you played Andromeda and some of our other mates didn't, didn't think it was that bad, but you know, general reception is pretty poor for that game. Oh, hundred percent. I, yeah. it's kind of, it's a game just like Assassin's Creed Unity where the game is forever um, tainted because yes. of how it launched. And yes. there's more problems with Andromeda than just the launch problems. Um, like, people have very justified issues with the story being a retread and, you know, the characters not being as good as, you know, the original trilogy. But mm. um, what people talk about is it being buggy, it being, you know, the horrible facial animations that they all, they all patch that and all improve that stuff, um, just like they did with Unity. And I'm just like, you know, other than some, you know, exceptions like, you know, Valhalla, I'll pick up and play right away. But it's, you know, I'll usually wait to play a game and that comes yeah, just really at this day and age. Waiting usually gives you a better experience because they patch all that stuff out. So I did that was my experience with Unity and, and Andromeda. So I didn't get to see any of that stuff. So I actually really liked both those games. So it's like, oh. Maybe just wait. Yeah, and I think the over-reliance on day one patches has created this real crazy culture where games are shipping, you know, moderately broken and, you know, like they're getting reviewed and they're essentially broken. So, you know, this is going way back, but um, Days Gone, that game got panned from a critical perspective, but a lot of people, when they look at, like, people who reviewed it after it launched versus the critics who reviewed it. And I'm talking about people who are critics, but they just didn't play it. There's a marked disparity and it's, you know, essentially like they were playing a broken game, reviewing it, then it got patched. And a lot of people are like, look, yeah, maybe it's not a 10 out of 10, but it's probably an eight or a seven. But when people reviewed it, it probably legitimately was a six or a seven. Like, and it has a huge impact on these kind of games. So... Yeah, I think Andromeda really suffered from you oh, know the memes really? and just the whole 
perspective on it, right? So and, yeah, and with Andromeda, like when I started playing that game, um, I was you know got to the first you know like that game is like it has open world planets and stuff, so very different than the first Mass Effect trilogy. Um, with the exception, I mean, there was some open world planet exploration number one with the the, um, the buggy, but you know that was very different. So it was very much okay. Let's take Dragon Dragon Age Inquisition model of make it more open world and you know like almost MMO questy and put that in Mass Effect, and that initially kind of pushed me away. I'm like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this, but. Eventually, it clicked with me, but the combat in that game is just so good, and that's what I loved about it. So there, there's mm. definitely people that do like Andromeda, but yeah. um, obviously, the, the it was crap at launch. Um, there's no defending that. Um, it was just horrible. It's as I've mentioned um, in the past. It's it's a shame that that game set up these really cool open threads that was a cliffhanger to lead into a sequel that's never going to happen and a DLC (laughs) that was planned that never happened. So we'll, unless they plan to kind of wrap that up in a, like a log in the next new sequel or something to kind of give some people some closure or or do something that we'll never find out what happened, which is a shame, but oh well. And I haven't played Andromeda, but it does also seem like, and that would be weird if I played that, but I didn't play the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, but it does seem like one of those games, and you know, this happens in movies as well, where it just doesn't even have any love in terms of, like, it's odd or something. So it has a bit of a cult following. It's yeah. more what I hear. Some people are like, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as what people are saying, but they're not going, it's great. Like, I love it. It's my favorite Mass Effect game. You know what I mean? And no, yeah, they... I think you're right. Like, it'll never have a sequel. <laughs> that yeah. Game. Generally, and, and it, it shouldn't get a sequel because you just look at the sales and, you know, like, mm. like from a business standpoint, you should not get a sequel at all. Yeah. Um, but just like me, a lot of people, generally what they praise about that is is the combat and the gameplay because that is actually really, really solid um, and a huge step up. Um, and the, the other reason I love it was because they brought more of the RPG back in um, that, that kind of filtered out in number two and three. So mm. it's, yeah, I, I'm super excited. And they also unveiled a whole bunch of promo items as well. Yeah, and these are really cool promo items. Like, I don't have any, like, you know, uh, nostalgia, I guess, for Mass Effect. But, you know, they they announced on, so this N7 days. And also by the fact that there's a lot of activity on Twitter around Mass Effect and N7, which is impressive for, you know, a franchise that really its last loved entry is a long, long time ago now. Mm. Um, but yeah, they've got toys coming out. They've got like little character posters and cards. But one that really caught my eye was um, the replica of the Alliance Normandy Normandy uh, SR1, which That's is awesome. like, you know, a scaled down version. Um, this looks really insanely cool, dude. Just looking it up. Uh, is SR1 the first ship? Just checking. I should know this. Because uh, each game's had a different Normandy, like... Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Just checking as well. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Not going to spend too long on it. Um, but, yeah, it's because basically, um, yeah, the, the ship gets kind of like big redesigns from each game. So, yeah. Anyway, regardless, like, it's such a cool ship design. It's probably oh, my favorite so spaceship that's not the, you know, next generation uh, Enterprise, that classic one. But, uh, yeah. yeah. 
No, it looks yeah. sick. I like. I, I'm actually shocked. It's only 500 units. Like, I just think sometimes when you see these things, like I'm not into Mass Effect. Not that I'm against it. I just never really got into it. But I looked at this item and I'm like, damn, that looks really, really cool. Like, I just I feel w- like this will be swallowed up so quickly. I wonder like, if, if Mike, if, I if wonder if Mike this, knows yet. You have to get it. I wonder if Mike knows yet. We've got to, we've got to tell him. Yeah, well, I think he needs to get on top of it because... <laughs> no, seriously, I, I think this will be... This will sell out straight away. Yeah. Like, they're only making 500 units of it. It's 250 US, which for what this is, given it's made of resin and everything like that, it's actually pretty decent. Man, and this is them... a kind of cool item to have, like, on your desk or something like that. Man, I want them to make a Lego Normandy. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> that'd be so cool. Yeah, so it's a lot of cool news about um, Mass Effect. I think this is a real good opportunity for Bioware. They've gone through a lot of heartache over the last few years uh, with, you know, some critical and not not um, not flops from a commercial perspective by any means. Like, Anthem was a top five game in the year it got released, but... Yeah, I, I think they're in a bit of trouble if they're not. But it's, but it's price also stuff. dropped very quickly. So correct. I yeah, guess yeah. But the, I, when when they talk yeah. about sales, they're talking about like dollars. So it's still made made dollars wise top five game for a year, which is pretty impressive. But um, I, I think you know you only have so much goodwill, right? Hmm. So this needs to work well, and I think eventually, I'd imagine it would be coming to the Switch. Like, that was the last thing I wanted to shout out, that they didn't mention it at all, but it's always been rumored for the Switch. But just sounds from the fact that they've remastered it and really optimized it, maybe it won't come out to the Switch. Yeah, I don't... Honestly, we've seen the Switch struggle with games that were from the 360 PS3 era, which is just beyond me, but we've seen the (laughs) Switch struggle with that. So it doesn't... It doesn't surprise me if they've upscaled all these, you know, just like they did, for instance, uh, with with Dark Souls Remastered. The version that the Switch got is closer to the, you know, original Dark Souls than what mm. the Xbox One and, and PS4 got. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, all right, it's well, a shame, though, because for people that only have a Switch, it would have been great, but. Maybe yeah. they'll get a maybe streaming they'll do version. It, exactly. Maybe they'll do it via the cloud. Like, th- honestly, that is an option now when you look at it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how control goes. I haven't heard too many reports outside of what we had last week. Um, but let's get into, uh, I think, really kind of like the only real Xbox or one of the only Xbox series exclusives, the medium. Um, and there's a few bits of news here. So the medium, which was unfortunately for them due to come out on the 10th of December, which I oh. imagine being that team, 10th of December, oh. this is when the game's like, no other game's coming out on the 10th of December. Sweet, we've got like a little window for this horror game, which also, you know, you kind of need to have a bit of space for these horror games, you know? Like, you've even seen it with Resident Evil, and they're starting to release them in, like, February, just so they get out of the window of other games. And then the biggest game of the year, the number one game of the year, Cyberpunk 2077, randomly issues another delay and lands on the 10th of December. <laughs> this poor game is just like, are you kidding me? Because I think if you're launching on the 10th of December, that's almost the last day you can launch for the Christmas window, essentially. And yeah, they've they've announced that they're delaying the game. Now, whether they say it's they're delaying it because of COVID or whatever, I don't really buy any of that. I no, just look they, at this as... But they did say the current schedule of other titles, so they at least owned up to that. They didn't sure. completely ignore it. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, they're delaying it and they're pushing it out to January 28th. So for Australia, just after Australia Day. So that's the Thursday. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a shame because like this was one of the games that, you know, was a exclusive experience on Xbox series. And I could actually have seen it had been like a bit of a cult hit potentially, like if it lands well, you know, because always these horror games are like that. So yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I like, you know, just from a moving it out, like, do you, do you think that's the right decision or? I think getting, getting the hell away from cyberpunk is a very wise decision. It's obviously mm. going to, we'll never know exactly how well it would have sold versus, you know, when it does come out, but like, just imagine like nobody's going to be talking about this game when it hits December the 10th. Nobody. They had to get out of the way of this. They had to. But maybe no one's going to be talking about it in January 28th either. Ah, uh, But yeah, I, that's very true. But the other thing is, you know, they very... It's It also gives them more time to, to fine-tune it. So I true. think, um, you know, it'll probably launch as a better product for it, um, which will mean that, you know... Which means we'll probably get better reviews, get get hopefully get more buzz. I mean... The Blooper team have, you know, have a good history. You know, Laser Fear is very popular and stuff. So mm. um, I think this will end up being a game that will probably live or die on how well, um, you know, it goes on Twitch and, and YouTube and stuff. Because yeah. horror games always, you know, people love watching people's reactions to games. So honestly, I'm this game actually does look pretty cool. Um, mm. it's just we've talked about horror games before. They're just not my my jam. Um, they have to even something like Eternal Darkness. Um, you know, on the GameCube is still that was definitely not a super scary game, but still I, I liked its gameplay. But um, if it wasn't for the whole Lovecrafty and stuff, um, the horror is just not my jam. So yeah, yeah, and I mean this game does look pretty damn scary <laughs> right and I, i'm still torn a bit about whether they should have moved it or not it sounds like they weren't able to bring it forward um because that would have been one option and i do feel like you probably can't push it out any further than december 10 and you're going to be in that massive wake that cyberpunk's going to have right like it's not like cyberpunk it's going to release and then no one's going to talk about it i feel like the whole month of december is just going to be cyberpunk to be honest yeah you know, and then it's going to be like, hey, when people get a Series X or a PS5 for the for Christmas, it's going to get another bump up because Cyberpunk's just going to be a game that people want to play on the new consoles. Uh, and it's going to be the definitive way to play it, let's be real. So, yeah, like, I guess logically it does make sense and you couldn't bring it forward. It would have been great if they could have brought it forward. So like you, that, I think that's the, that's the way that I would have tried to do it. But so you mentioned- you know, I don't know how close they were. So you mentioned it's going to come out just after Australia Day, so that means Australians are going to really enjoy this game. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. So uh, it got submitted to our um, classification board, and it got rejected instantly. Now, what I understand from that, and and you know, just you know, reaching out to some industry insiders on it, it seems like they probably have made a mistake in submitting the form itself. So it's not necessarily that the game or the content of the game, because, you know, Australia has unfortunately and infamously a very rich history of refusing games, you know, not, you know, kind of basically viewing games as for kids. So anything mature, they either refuse classification or require games um, 
developers and publishers to significantly censor games to ridiculous points. So in a very, very much funny. Uh, what was it? Was it South Park that they did a massive send up in the physical game, like in the actual oh, game itself? So good, I love it. Which is one of the greatest things ever. You, you check it out on YouTube. Um, you know, just search for like Australian government censorship South Park. So, you know, they've put it in the game itself, describing what you're missing out, given that you're playing it in Australia. So yeah. this game, they've, they've they've already said that they're resubmitting it, um, but it is a scary game. So I'm not sure, you know, if games would get banned these days because of that, but it is a, you know, mature game in the States as well. Yeah. So ever since they introduced the 18 rating, mm. uh, which was, I remember back in uni, I even did like, you know, when we're... I even did it like a talk on that stuff because that's how yeah. ridiculous it was getting. Now, generally, the reason they um, might refuse classification is for generally two reasons. One is depiction of drug use, um, and well, no, no, it's not drug use. It's the drug use that gives you benefits. Yeah, yeah. So, so you can use drugs, and if it if it means you're weaker, it's okay. But if you use drugs in Australia in a game and you get stronger or more like quicker or whatever, it's not okay. <laughs> and the other reason, I'm not talking also about games that are obviously like just have content that's just ridiculously like, you know, you know, like something like, um, oh, forget the name of it, that game where you went up as a mass murderer shooting everyone, like games like that. I'm not talking about stuff that are obviously... Like Postal? No, it wasn't Postal, it was something else. Oh, okay. Um, and it was... Uh, and sexual violence, so anything to do with uh, mm. rape and stuff like that. That's and true. That's why. Um, oh my god, I can't remember any names of the games. Um, but the, even those kind of games are starting to get banned on Steam. Anyway, um, yeah. So, but the fun. Interestingly enough, um, a game that I really like, um, Risen. Risen was refused classification in Australia. Um, so Risen is um, a an RPG by Piranha Bytes. So. Fan, I'm a big fan of them. Super Eurojank. They're almost like the connoisseurs of Eurojank. <laughs> and the reason why Rinus, uh, Risen was refused classification is because there's one mission in the game where you're in like a, it's like a monastery of sorts, but it's kind of like part of a, a guild quest line or something. And you you have to. There's these like, it's like a their version of weed, basically, right? So it's like a reed, like a, you know, reed that's in the water, but they turn it into like something you can smoke. And there's a thing where you actually have to pass that out as kind of like you're acting as like a bit of a dealer in the monastery to then, you know, continue a quest line. And it got banned because of that quest. Um, mm. It's a shame because like it was, and the way it was, it was, they definitely didn't depict anything about negative or positive there. So it was, it was obviously, it was also a small publisher and developer. So they probably just didn't have, you know, it wasn't worth it to fight it in Australia at the time. So, um, so it never got released or? Oh yeah. I had to import it from the UK. So. Oh my God. That's crazy. I don't know if it's since been released and available, let's say, you know, on steam and stuff like that, but for the 360, it never got uh, officially released in Australia, but because, crazy. because it was a power reaching game, you could just get it from the UK. It's fine. It's not like I was going to mm. stop by the border police over importing risen. So, From what I understand also, when you're submitting these things, just listening to developers talk about it, especially indie ones, it's like you basically need to describe all the things that you believe may trigger them to, you know, give it certain ratings. And it's kind of up to you how you frame it as well. So I do wonder, with especially the European developers, when they're submitting these things, whether they're just very like 
casual about it and not reading the markets, like in terms of whether they ban things or not. Sort of like, hey, you know, he turns this into, you know, some kind of drug and it gets more powerful or not powerful or whatever. And then they just read that and go, well, this is a clear breach of what we're doing. Whether maybe they could have written it in such a way that they could kind of like get around it, you know? Because you supposedly, look- yeah, go on. Uh, no, I was just going to say, because you look at that quest and then you compare that to GTA Chinatown Wars and Nintendo DS, where there are missions where you're actually delivering cocaine or heroin. I can't remember which one it is. Like, it is 100% the same. <laughs> like concept it's just one is obviously a much bigger um you know it has much bigger weight behind it and people as you said probably know how to submit this stuff in a way that exactly get it exactly it's the art of framing these things in a way that obfuscates them so and it's also for them to then turn around and go well they said you're delivering a package (laughs) you know and then they said well the prior mission the package is drugs (laughs) you know so they've got to mention that's what you're delivering in that one so yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It will be interesting if this game gets refused because there's easy ways to get around getting it and I think it will make it more attractive for people in general if it gets banned because they'll probably have the angle that, oh, it's so scary that it's got banned in Australia. <laughs> um, well, yeah, let's get, let's get into some business news. Uh, so, take two. So, there's, there's confirmation that they're in talks to acquire Codemasters. Um, you know, we mentioned it before around Dirt, um, and then also with the F1 and Project Cars franchises, this is a specialty for this developer. So it's interesting. I, I, you know, do you know what some of the drivers are behind why Take Two is looking at acquiring Codemasters? I have no idea about the drivers, but Codemasters mm. always kind of occupied this weird space in the industry. I, as as an Australian, that also you know, I'm half of my. F- Family is English, half of my um, is Australian, and so I also yeah. spent quite a, a few years in England as a kid. And Codemasters are, are just they're a legendary developer in the UK. You know, like we talk about the Dizzy Games, Micro Machines, and stuff like that. They yeah, oh Micro Machines. Remember back in the day when we play that, yeah. and then you share an actual physical controller. It's like half the control. People wouldn't understand this. Half the controller, so like the D pad, and then the like the bumper, so the left. It's like drive and then steer, and then the right side, which is like your, you know, your four um, face buttons, and then the bumper is like the other person's ability to drive their own car. So you could play like four player with only two controllers. That's like, so cool. You know, GDQ when they do like two people playing the same controller and they do half. It was like that, but like built into the game. It was so cool. Yeah, that was so sick, dude. I love Micro Machines. It's such a cool game. But um, like the Dizzy franchise is something that like is. He's such a classic UK series. Um, that mm. James Pond and all that games that just really probably didn't make a huge mark outside of the UK. Um, so, you know, Codemasters like you know Bitmap Brothers and all these kind of other UK developers, even like I can't remember, never pronounce it, but like Signosis and DMA Design. Like it's interesting because mm. DMA Design essentially became Rockstar. Um, so it's this isn't the first. UK developer that you know Take Two have actually acquired. Um, so I definitely think it makes sense. Um, I don't know the um, how much those franchises sell, but they obviously do well enough um, to keep Codemasters in business for a long time. Mm. I think it's yeah, they're essentially going to corner the driving. You know, not that it's really a sim, but um, you know the driving sim market basically, with the exception obviously Forza and, and uh, Gran Turismo. So. Mm. Yeah, because I know that um, 
you, you probably don't notice this, but you know when you jump into random games, and I felt this when I played Watch Dogs Legion Two, where the driving physics in it were so Wait, what the random. Watch Dogs Legion Two? You mean Watch Dogs Two? Oh, Watch Dogs Two. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, Watch Dogs Two. It's getting ahead of the direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Um, yeah, like so when you jump in cars in that game, it just feels odd like it doesn't feel like a car like at all or even a video game car and you know listening to psionics because they used to do a lot of support for companies and they've gone on to make rocket league um but psionics they used to do support for studios and developers where it's like we'll do all the car stuff and you do the regular game because it's such a niche thing and all that yeah 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 so yeah, I'm just looking through the library of um, Take-Two games. And actually, you know, because from a business perspective, I mean, Take-Two is a mega business. They're probably looking at it and going, we don't really have a clear offering in that space, like in the sort of car genre. So the, like just going through it, they don't. The but I can see at least. think of is whether or not um, there's any legacy... Um, teams or developers within Rockstar um, because Rockstar have worked on the Midnight Club series. Yeah. So whether or not there's people that stuck around and they, you know, handle, um, you know, GTA 4 was infamously bad driving, but they've since improved those. Um, So I wonder if they still kind of have a legacy there. Um, I honestly, it makes sense for Codemasters actually to do a new um, Midnight Club. I reckon that'd be really cool. Um, so, but obviously they've got their own franchises like, you know, F1 and Dirt, um, are, you know, are pretty big names. Um, I not definitely not into F1, but we know, you know, Mike is, is huge into his driving sims. So, um, mm. the interesting thing for me is whether or not the influence of 2K or Take Two, which, you know, would influence 2K as well, would then start to seep into these franchises. Like the. Uh, of course. <laughs> the microtransactions. Of course, the dude. GTA 2K. So <laughs> I think positives and very possible negatives of this. But if we have no. Like, we. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's information out there about in how stable a position Codemasters was. Did it make sense for them to do this really from a business standpoint? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it sounds like it probably is, but it's also not confirmed. But, mm. uh, I mean, Take-Two have put a press release out basically stating that they're <laughs> they're pretty much going to make this acquisition. So um, Yeah, once it gets to this point, it's, it's going to happen. It only, at this point when they go out with these press releases, just, you know, having spent time in this sort of space, you, you pretty much are only not doing this deal if there's a huge macro thing that happens with the economy or more likely there's a regulatory issue, you know, and that probably crops up more when you're talking about international jurisdictions, but it actually seems like they might be, you know, incorporating in the same country potentially. So yeah, I I can't imagine this not going through and just looking at it now, I think there's a few things. There doesn't seem to be a very clear like car game in the, in the suite for take two. Um, and then also you, you landed on a really good point around the, in the F1, you know, I played F1 2018. It's a pretty decent game, but it doesn't feel like a 2k game where it's just, you know, a wash with, you know, microtransaction monetization, all that kind of thing. I, I think, you know, they're probably looking at that going, well, we can monetize the hell out of this F1 game in a much, much better way 
than what they're doing currently, which for me is the right thing, what they're doing um, and how they're making that game and maybe even with the Dirt series as well. So, yeah. And then, you know, the the left field thing could possibly be, hey, these guys understand how to do cars and the biggest game on the planet, which is Grand Theft Auto and they're developing Grand Theft Auto 6, you know, cars is a huge part of Grand Theft Auto. So, I know like they're not talking about doing a sim, but you know, even having people who can support you with that kind of stuff for the biggest game on the planet is, you know, probably a logical thing to do. It is, but I think um, with the GTA Online has actually had a big focus on on driving in a lot of it. So I guess in not on the obviously the mods and stuff, but um, even in the the official you know things that they add to the game. I wonder if they're already covered by that. But I understand what you're saying; it makes sense. Um, just like you know, Ubisoft shares teams to you know that focus on different things to do different parts of games um but yeah going back to you know i i reckon a new rock uh midnight club would be cool because that that is a very different style of game that doesn't cross over past dirt f1 or project cars um mm. much kind of stylish you know um street racing game and stuff so yeah no definitely definitely awesome now let's chat about uh, Nintendo. They're just uh, absolutely smashing it with the console sales. So they just um, had their quarterly results and the numbers are just pretty astronomical. I think like, you know, just generally for this generation outside of the Xbox One, the numbers have been massive and way bigger than anyone expected. But even with that, man, like these numbers are just ridiculous. Like, you know, just in the one quarter that they had, they'd sold... 6.8 million switches uh, now bringing it up to about 70 million so it's like 68.3 so about 70 million switches are out there and um animal crossing has just been bonkers so it's it's sold now that we know the numbers because it's the digital and the physical numbers animal crossing itself has sold 26 million units in six months that's insane <laughs> which is just you just cannot believe it and then the thing that blew me away with that is because they finally you know also confirmed the numbers around um you know what the the total sales are for for the games so nintendo has a weird list of games that they show and it, it's up to them how much they want to show or not show with this kind of stuff but they have a list of switch sellers that are about over a million and remarkably Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is still in front of Animal Crossing. Now, I probably would have bet that, you know, it would have fallen behind finally, but no, nope, Animal Crossing is still number two, which is just also bonkers that um, they've now got three games that have sold over 20 million copies on a console that they're ex- exclusive to as well, by the way. So, like, Smash, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, and then oh, also Animal Crossing, all over twenty million Mario sales. Exclusive. You say exclusive, exclusive to Nintendo, but I mean, that's- yeah, exclusive to Nintendo. But but when I say Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, that that number that like I'm saying that's exclusive to this console, the Deluxe Edition, and those numbers aren't incorporating the Wii U numbers. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just I mean, it is essentially the same game as Wii U with some. Oh no, no, definitely, definitely is. But, uh, I mean, hey, you can use two items. Come on, that's completely different. <laughs> but uh, it's <laughs> um, 
yeah, it's it's huge, and it's it's funny. We've uh, I'm I'm one of the holdouts on my Ricardo Deluxe. Like we're probably <laughs> pissing you guys off because you've you're all like, let's play my Ricardo. I'm like, I already spent so much money on the Wii, I don't want to buy it again and spend so much money. Like it's almost like that game. Ne- I never see that drop in price. Or why would they? No. You know, why would they drop it in price? Um, I think I picked it up digitally. The one sale it's had since it launched, which it was like $53. Oh, and that's the only time it's dropped to that amount. And then it went back up. <laughs> so it's never gone down since. So it's like, unlike something like uh, Smash Brothers, which, you know, I own Smash Brothers for Wii U and Ultimate, like they're very different games. So it's, yeah, as part yeah. of me, it's like, man, I've, and I, I love Mario Kart 8 though. You know, it's not like Breath of the Wild situation oh, where it didn't click with me. I love good. Mario Kart 8. It's pro- like, I think it's probably the best Mario Kart. But um, uh, oh, really? Interesting. I, we have to do that one day. Rank all the Mario Karts. Mario Karts. Um, I think uh, I think I need to bite the bullet next next time I see it on sale. I'll, I'll have to pick it up. I think. Yeah, I'll let you know. So normally with Nintendo with their sales, they have two times during the year that they do it, and um, Christmas is one of the times that they're consistently doing sales and for first party. So probably keep your eye out on on it around that time. Um. Yeah, these numbers are crazy. And then the thing that I wanted to look at and talk about as well is just the trajectory of the sales. Because, you know, when this launched, there were people who were laughing about the Switch kind of going, this is not even going to sell like 20 million units. Nintendo's dead. They need to be, a you know, a developer and sell their games on PS4 and, and Xbox, which are they, they would are, be laughing right now. Are they... Like, I remember when when the first Unver- uh, trailer came out, um, you know, there was h- huge buzz about this. Probably not as much as the, the Wii. The Wii was like an anomaly, but um, this wasn't... Uh, and anyone... Like, yeah, like, I remember, like, the people were talking about the Switch all the time when they did it. Like, unlike the Wii U. Like, if people were thinking this is another Wii situation, then they were completely ignorant, honestly. Yeah. No, like, no, I agree. This had buzz. I, this had buzz. I think this had more buzz than the Wii, to be honest. I think the Wii exploded once people got it. And, like, you couldn't buy it for, like, two years in America. And people saw it and they were like, wow, that's really different. Like, I don't get that. Like, that's... My mum can play that game. Yeah, so I, I guess think I guess I'm factoring once it came in, out, it went crazy. Yeah, I guess I'm factoring that part in as well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, even the Wii numbers, like, so like, uh, you know, we're just looking, and you can look at this stuff. Um, especially there's really good analysts, like, and what a cool job. Like, uh, you know, I'm in business, and this would be such a sick job. There's a guy, uh, Daniel Ahmed. If you search for him on Twitter. He's like the preeminent video game analyst in my books now. Uh, he's at Nico Partners. And he has a lot of connections into China. So that's kind of how he broke into the industry. Sort of had all those really interesting numbers that are coming from China and just expanded from there. But, you know, he's got some really cool charts. And just looking at the the line and the sort of, you know, the gradient of, of the Switch, it's pretty much straight on par with PS4, PS2 and the Wii. Like it's it's running at that run rate. So it's really when they want to end the generation, I think that that will be the longer, like the the determinant factor. Because the thing about the PS2 that people forget, you know, it's a number one seller. It sold about 150 million. They actually effectively delayed the launch of the PS3 and the 360 because of the GFC. So the PS2 had an extra two or three years that it probably shouldn't have had. Um, and then also the fact that the PS2, by the way, a lot of people bought it just for the DVD functionality. Hmm. So... 
it's kind of one of those ones where it's you, you got to read through the numbers a little bit. But man, the Switch is just freaking selling I'd, like bonkers. I'd like be interested. I'd be interested to see where the 3DS because the 3DS kind of it started slow but then picked up huge. So I wonder. I don't know when Ooh. that pickup was. Was it? past the 43-week mark, which is, you know, what we're talking about here. Because I kind of have a feeling it, it may have started to pick up around that time. Like, because I remember when it launched, it was definitely like, what is happening? No, like, it was almost like people, like, it wasn't really, you know, hitting it. Then it kind of, I don't know what it was, if it was a game release or whatever that just kind of, you know, then then sent it skyrocketing. But um, yeah, I wonder where I mean, where it was it, much... I just shot you the graph that shows you the the chart out to um, five years worth of 3DS numbers, which is beyond what the Switch has done. Yeah. So it shows you the sort of gradient and the trajectory it's on. Um, the 3DS, big part of it was when they dropped the price in the States, like less so the way it worked here, but definitely in America it was overpriced. And that was like a year or 10 months into it, I think. And then it started picking up more momentum at that okay. stage. Okay. Um, but it never really was... It was. It's quite an interesting one, the 3DS, actually. It's sort of... I think it gave people a lot of thought that gaming and portable gaming was dead. Because it was just... You know, in terms of how many units it was selling per month, it was like half of what, you know, the, the, the Nintendo DS sold, which... By the way, the Nintendo DS sold like bonkers numbers, That's like hundred plus million, it's crazy. Um, like faster than the Wii, which is like nuts when you think about it, right? Um, and it, well, like it sold like what one thirty, one forty million from memory. The Nintendo 3DS. Yeah, the, the the problem with that stuff though is I still, I know you need to count it, but as soon as you <laughs> start, yeah, as soon as you start factoring in all the different versions, it kind of. It's like the Game Boy when people, you know, sure. the Game Boy Color was definitely a different thing. So I'm glad that people kind of treat that as a... No, no, but they don't. They count that. Oh, they count see, that that's together. wrong. That's wrong. I, I agree. So like on that one, you know, and this is real niche stuff we're talking about right now. But, oh, what we're here you know, for. Yeah, no, no, no. So this, I, like I get really into this stuff. I totally agree with you. I think it's wrong that Nintendo, Nintendo counts Game Boy, Game Boy Pocket and Game Boy color as one console and i don't even think they've con like you know throughout time really given the numbers on the splits whereas the ds i don't i disagree with you i think it's completely fine to count them all together like i wouldn't expect to see a separated count for xbox one xbox one x like it's the xbox one generation like you can buy an xbox one game it will work on any of them i get with the ds there were like four games or whatever it was that had to have the DSi. Um, and then same as like the 3DS. With the new 3DS, there's like a handful of games that need to have the new 3DS for it to run. But it's a generation, man. Like you got, you got to count them all together. It's mm. just revision. The Game Boy Colors are worse though because there was a lot of games that were only playable on Game Boy Correct. Color. Yeah, and I think they're cheating because there's a bunch of those games as well that would work if you plug them into the Game Boy itself. So, you know, there was three types of games. There was Game Boy, like, you know, Game Boy games, Game Boy Color games that had a mode that you could still plug it in to the Game Boy and it would work. And then there was strictly Game Boy Color games. It wouldn't even work at all. So, yeah, I, I think it's wrong that they include the Game Boy Color, ga like, so sales, but I'm fine with the, the DS ones. Yeah, yeah, it sold 150 plus million, um, the DS. 
I actually, like, I've always been a huge believer in the Switch and its viability. Just, it, it feels a niche that people really didn't identify. Um, and, you know, I just, I don't see it not getting past the 100 million sales. Like, I feel like it's up to Nintendo if they don't want it to be 100 million sales. So if they release a, a Switch Pro or something that is more powerful, that there's some games that will only run on it, um, they're going to count that as part of the Switch sales, aren't they? Oh, of course. <sighs> yeah. But my theory is what's going to happen is they'll have a Switch Pro. Like, and I, I still believe that will be next year. And I don't think there'll be any exclusive games on it. But I think effectively there will be. You know what I mean? So I think games will work on the Switch. But it will just run like just absolute shit that people feel like you have to play it on the Switch <laughs> yeah. Pro. Which I think will be fine because I think those games that are like that are going to be the ones that aren't like the family games. So people will kind of know that. And then I think, you know, we're talking maybe about five years from now or four years from now, I feel like they will release a revision of the Switch. Like, you know, let's just keep it simple. But like, you know, the Switch U, they will play all the Switch titles. Can you imagine? Switch U. That will be the one. That would would be funny. um, How amazing would it be? Because... I don't think they would, but Nintendo definitely poke fun at themselves. How awesome would <laughs> be to have an April's okay. full Switch U? I'll give you a prediction. I'll give you a prediction. This is like, I don't know, maybe this is a really common prediction, but this will be my prediction. And Nintendo are just so crazy, they'll do something stupid like this. They'll release, like in four years, the Switch VR. So it's like, it can be played as a Switch but then you can mount it onto like a headset that like plays VR. So it's the same unit, but it's like a VR display. And then it can also be just a regular display. Well, what do you mean? They've already got VR. It's called Labo VR. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I think they'll, they'll take that concept with Labo and they keep on, you know, Nintendo, one thing you have to give to them, they always want to do something different. And I just can see them going, you know, down that path of like wanting to, you know, do a VR thing in a very Nintendo way, I'm sure. So, but yeah, like they'll be down the track. But yeah, I think they'll definitely count the Switch Pro sales and they'll get a stack of sales, man. They can keep selling this thing for like four years. I'm I'm seeing it right now. So, you know, you've got the game. Mm -hmm. Then they go, okay, VR is virtual. So they call yep. the virtual boy. Yep. That's it. That's what they're going to do. Oh. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> it's like such a lame joke. Uh, and then, you know, like the one thing I'll shout out about the sales figures, like I know one of my most beloved franchises, Metroid, it just doesn't sell, right? Like at all. Um, like the be- best seller ever is like nothing, um, compared to like, you know, the animal crossings of the world, the, you know, S tier, uh, you know, Nintendo franchises, but Xenoblade, I'm kind of shocked that they keep going back to the Xenoblade well, when it's selling like 2.4 million copies, like Xenoblade 2, and then the definitive edition sold like 1.3 million copies. Those, those sales numbers aren't like, you got to remember there's a lot of different levels of, of games in terms of sales and stuff. And those numbers aren't actually that bad for, you know, we're talking mid-tier games here in terms of franchise yeah. and stuff. 
You know, not every they would love obviously to be able to sell twenty million copies of Xenoblade, but I, I, they know they're not going to. So it's all about I think trying to you know like some of that stuff is also about just really you know building out a really good you know range of games. Um, and I don't know the budget that goes into making the Xenoblade games uh, with um, oh my god I can't remember the developer the um, developers behind Xenoblade, um, but Monolith. I, Monolith, that's it. So I'm sure the development costs are nowhere near probably what you know some some other you know big titles are. So yeah, I don't know. Like I'm so these are just my insanely rough numbers, right? So like you know if it's selling like 1.3, I, I guess that's unfair because that's a remaster. So just going to Xenoblade Chronicles Two, which is a new game on the Switch, you know if it's selling you know 2.5 million units. And they're probably realizing like, you know, 50 bucks US per copy. Because they do sell at like a high price in America. Or maybe more like $45. Like once you, you know, take away some of the costs. It's like about $100 million revenue that they're getting in the door. I reckon they probably got like 80 people working on it. 150 grand-ish each US. Four years. That's about 50 million. I guess that's not a bad profit. Hmm. Then it, it just feels like risky, you know? So, you know. What was that? Then you've got to factor in marketing and all that stuff, so... Yeah, for sure. It, it, like, I guess where I'm coming from is just... They're not cheap games to make. And they're not, like, selling like crazy, you know? And, and uh, you know, the biggest one that I wanted to call out is um, Fire Emblem. Like, that is not sold that well at all. Like, yeah, it's it's just kind of interesting, like you know, whether they, like, they seem to love Fire Emblem and they just want to keep persisting with it now. Although, like, they they were thinking about killing it, like, a few, you know, like 10 years ago. So I, I really think it could go down that path again, Fire Emblem, because it's, it's just really not selling that well. Like, I'm just looking at the list and it's just so far <laughs> down the list. It's crazy. Like, they don't even publish the sales anymore of Fire Emblem because it's just not selling on a quarterly basis, so... But if you start to look at, you know, outside of Nintendo, like, those sales numbers are not out of the ordinary for games like that. That's just the nature of... Like, they they aren't wide-appealing games. No, no, I get, I get it. It's just, like, for them... Like, you know, you've seen what Nintendo does. They do shelve franchises that don't work, like F-Zero, right? They just don't sell as well as they want it to. And the thing is, what's going to make more money? Like an Animal Crossing spin-off that the team behind Fire Emblem could work on or a Fire Emblem game? Like at the moment, unfortunately, probably the Animal Crossing spin-off right, would I've make got, more money. I've got another idea. Okay. <laughs> How about Animal Crossing uh, Muso game? <laughs> That'd be really cool, actually. That's it. That would be cool. I reckon people would love that. See, I was thinking of like a Animal Crossing tactics game. <laughs> no, no. Get get um get Ninja uh was it Ninja Team or what no, it's not Ninja Team, that's very different. You get a uh, Koei Tecmo working on a on a <laughs> Animal Crossing warrior. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Alright, I think we've got to straighten up because we've got some serious topics ahead. Um so uh, Celeste creator Maddie Thornson um, has written a blog. So I don't know if you knew much about this. Like I knew prior to this blog um, that 
Maddie, uh, you know, had come out as trans. So this was like last year, I think, from memory. Um, just because it's someone that I follow on Twitter. And, um, you know, she's written a blog just around that not only is she trans, but that the protagonist in Celeste, which is, a, you know, one of the indie darlings um, of the last couple of years, is also trans, um, which is quite interesting. Just, and, you know, it's a really, really interesting article. We'll link it uh, in the show notes and um, on the YouTube clip as well. Um, but, yeah, it was just it was really fascinating to read about her journey of sort of, you know, just starting the game, not having this realization about herself or the protagonist of the game. And then it wasn't really until the game was completely finished, like with the DLC that she sort of started to realize. And then she sort of started telling her friends and coming out as trans and then also uh, to the wider community. So yeah, it's just really kind of a fascinating article. Uh, no negative backlash that I can see, thank God. Um, but it, it's also just interesting um, to me how a creator can create something that is a bit of a manifestation of their own subconscious without realizing. And then turns out that, you know, they've made an assessment about, uh, you know, some of the identity of, of, of a protagonist without them even knowing themselves that they kind of felt it was like that. Yeah. This, this is a, this is a great article to read and Mm. it, you know, it's very personal. You know, really oh, super personal. Huge, yeah. huge credit to uh, to Maddie for laying it out there. And we know that um, you know, whenever there, there's been backlash to, you know, obviously we know that J.K. Rowling has very strong thoughts on the the whole concept and of gender identity and everything. But we know that when um, you know she came out and started to say, "Oh, Dumbledore was gay," blah blah blah, you had all this backlash of people saying, "Wait, don't go back in." to the your work and your art and and try to add these things in. So I'm really glad that this has been that, you know, people haven't taken it that way, that it's, you know, people have understood that this is actually, you know, it yeah, as you said, it's almost kind of a manifestation uh, you know, throughout the development to then realise, mm. like, okay, this is actually this is why I was so confused at the time. It's and why, you know, why these things are so important is because it was so personal. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And I know that the community had kind of, it's been a long thing where they've been talking about, um, you know, wanting clarity on this. And they didn't outright come and come out and say in the DLC that they added. And I think that's actually really great because to me, that would almost be like, well, we need to say this because there's, people are expecting it no like yeah you know the fact that you know obviously maddie said this in the blog which you i think you know is is good but you know to go out there and put it in a piece of text in the game would have probably felt very tokenistic and wouldn't have fit probably the game as well um so i think mm. it's really really good and it's i really like the um the quote that Maddie put in the article, which is, you know, they didn't want it to be like Samus removing the helmet at the end of Metroid to reveal that, surprise, you were trans woman all along. Um, I think that's a really great um, line because it's, yeah, as I said, it's it's obviously important to the game, but, um, yeah, like I remember back um, when they um, put out new Baldur's Gate DLC um, well after the original Baldur's Gate came out and people were some... Corners of the internet. Um, we 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 know the the types were very you know were harking about oh 
forced diversity, blah, blah, blah. And I think one of the issues was that, you know, you meet one of the characters in there and the, one of the first things they say in the first dialogue is, you know, they start talking about that they're, you know, that they're trans. And so I think that the way they did it with Celeste was really great. And by the way, I don't agree with that at all. It was just kind of just remember it, this kind of made me think about that when you start having people kind of, you know, say, oh, look, you know, why is that the first thing someone mentions? Um, but I think mm. it is really, really good um, that, you know, and this article has said it's very personal um, and having played through, um, uh, oh my God, tell me why that's it. I can't think of any game titles this week. Tell me why, which, you know, the the had, had a trans protagonist and a, gender identity was very central to the story and, and the themes. Um, I think it's really good. It's, you know, representation um, is is one of the strongest form of, you know, of, of helping people come to grips with, you know, the fact that they, they're going through these, uh, you know, troubles in life. Because um, I, you know, while I can't speak firsthand, I imagine it is very tough to go through and, and have to, you know, come out and things like that. Um, so mm. it's really good to have people in, in art and media and characters and representations that represent you. I think it's really important. Mm. Yeah. And I should, I should actually correct myself because I was sort of referring to Maddie as she, whereas they're actually non-binary. So that's more of a they, them type of thing, which, you know, it's, it's kind of like this whole thing. It's like getting accustomed to the language as well and just accommodating people um, and getting to feel okay with themselves. I mean, I don't have that much experience. Like the one thing, and I don't think we've actually spoken about this, but my um, aunt was like, you know, and I'll I'll frame this in a way that actually, I don't know how to say this in a way that's not offensive. Um, Like, so my uncle came out as trans. So now it's my aunt um, like a few years ago. uh, And I remember talking to her uh, just about the whole thing. So she's like, oh, what would she be? Like almost 70, right? And it's it was really actually super fascinating to me just going, hey, like how long did you feel like this? Like I asked so many stupid questions, but I feel like how are you going to learn about these things otherwise? Um, and then she's just straight up like, hey, I always felt like this, but there was kind of like no language for that back then. Like that just wasn't something that was in the realm of possibility or just reality. You know what I mean? Like you just don't have the words for what you are and you know, what's driving you. So like personally, it was like super eye opening to me. Like I've always been, and I think we're pretty similar in this way, but I won't speak for you, but I've always been one of those people that sort of like, look, it doesn't affect me or it doesn't impact me. And it means a lot to that person. So why Hmm. would I have a strong view almost one way or the other? It's like, I feel like these are genuinely held views that someone's had. So, you know, I'll be behind them and support them in what they want to do and, you know, what makes them feel comfortable, um, you know, because I think it's extremely reasonable, uh, you know, the requests uh, that people have of just sort of going, hey, this is who I am and this is how I identify myself. It's like, okay, like, you know, it doesn't bother me and, you know, that's good for you. And, and to be honest, I don't think I would be um, brave enough to be able to do that you know, even if I felt like that, you know, I think I'd just be one of those people that just, you know, wouldn't feel comfortable like going out to everyone, you know? Well, um, and I, and I really hope that that changes with time. Yeah. Um, and also, but yeah, like I, outside of that, haven't had much experience. Yeah. And also just, you know, the actual process of transitioning while it's obviously very different for different people is mm. you know, by all accounts, 
really tough. Um, you know, not just on the mental side, but the physical side as well. And it's, yeah, I have so much respect for people that are able to, you know, able to, to go through that and, and obviously come out, you know, on to everyone else about it. It's, it's would be so tough. You know, there's just think about, you know, so for some people it's they'd probably feel like it's the the biggest secret that they can't tell anyone and just think about the biggest secret you've got you know that you don't want to tell anyone like just to tell people that would be super tough so um i yeah i think this is a fantastic blog article um and i really look forward to the um not sure if um if they're working on a on a new game um at the moment um you'd hope so so i'm really looking forward to the next game i still got to play through celeste so i think this is probably a good um <laughs> a good thing to get me uh onto that and stop watching gdq runs instead so <laughs> yeah and it's a part of xbox game pass getting back to gaming <laughs> and you know like i think given the history of um why like i don't even know what to call it now because they kind of have a studio and the studio's name was Matt Makes Games, and they want to change the name. I don't know what they're going to change the name to, but they don't really make sequels, that crew of of people. Like, it's quite an interesting and eclectic crew of people. It's like some Brazilians and Canadians and all over the place. So, it you know, they, they make fantastic games. Um, so, yeah, and, and, like, one thing I just wanted to touch on before we move on was just, you know, to me... Like, I think Celeste itself and just this story sort of, you know, helps elevate gaming to a higher art form than I think what a lot of people think of it as in terms of, you know, hey, it can't get to the level of something like movies or books. I think, you know, the fact that the game itself is a bit of a metaphor for, you know, climbing up something, climbing up a mountain, getting through something, persevering. And then, you know, you hear this story about its own creator kind of, you know, replicating that, you know, art sort of imitating life and life imitating art. I think it's just like something that's unique to games um, in, in this way of the way it's been expressed. And, you know, I, I hope and I so far see that, you know, everyone supports them. And, you know, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's a must read article if you're sort of, you know, into this more artsy fartsy style stuff in in gaming, I think it's well worth reading. We we need more games like Celeste, and we need more stories like yes. Addies. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well said. All right. Well, this is impossible to segue, um, <laughs> but you know, and another thing that really caught my eye this week, uh, PT. So PT being uh, the demo for Silent Hills, effectively. Um, you know, the context here, and I think most people know about it, but it is quite a funny one where, you know, Konami basically had a Silent Hills game in development with uh, Kojima and it was going to start Norman Reedus. They released, just shadow dropped a demo and it's basically just a room um, and it's a real small snippet of what the game was going to be. And, you know, it was built as an interactive teaser rather than, them releasing a teaser itself. Um, so this experience was on the store, you know, massive amount of reactions to it, you know, people really getting into it. And then with all the fallout with Konami and Kojima, and, you know, we won't get into that now, but there was a massive fallout between uh, those two parties and they pulled this this demo or this teaser from the store. And then now people are in this mad scramble to you know, maintain this, this, uh, teaser cause you know, to preserve it. And 
what people discovered was you could actually transfer it to a PS5 and it would work on a PS5. So people had it working on a PS5 and then there was an update that was pushed just the other day. So these are on review, obviously, review units of PS5s. There was an update uh, that Sony had to the firmware to the PS5 and all of a sudden PT no longer worked. And by the way, yeah, you can't uh, download PT, obviously, because Konami has pulled it. So Sony had to come out and explain why and they just described it as a publisher decision. So Konami has pulled... uh, PT from even being able to be playable on uh, the PS5. So it's not even downloadable. It's just the people who have had it on their PS4 can actually put it on the PS5. So what did you think about this Konami move? Well, first of all, I just wanted to also mention how influential PT has actually been. So not only has it been a huge influence on independently developed horror titles that generally come out on PC and Steam and that, but uh, it's very possible, you know, I don't know if we ever had confirmation that it also influenced the decision to make Resident Evil uh, 7 first person. Oh, interesting. Uh, that was a lot of the discussion at the time, but, you know, again, who knows? Like, games take a long time to develop, so. Um, but, yeah, in terms of this move, like a lot of things, I'm in two minds. First of all, Konami's in their full right to do this, right? It's not... Correct. This, totally game, correct. this game was a demo for another game that never happened and a game that also has, you know, it's a sore spot for Konami, I imagine, anything to do with, with Kojima um, around that time frame. Oh, yeah. They hate him now. <laughs> and the the fact that they he also went on to, you know, do Death Stranding with Norman Reedus. Mm. Um and they have yet to release uh, a new fully-fledged Silent Hill game since then. So they, you know, or many games since then. Or any game, yeah, right? yeah. or practically any good uh, game. But the other side is obviously, you know, caring about, you know, people that actually like this. You know, it's not it's not a long game. And chances are, look, anyone that wanted to play PT and experience everything that's in that, you know, that uh, that uh, demo is has played it by now. Um, there's also people that have made, like, I don't know if they've been taken down, I don't know, Konami cares, but people have made, like, Unreal Engine PT, versions of PT that are playable on PC, so, you know, there's ways to play it outside of that. Obviously not 100% accurate, probably, but pretty close. Mm. Um, but the thing is that, obviously, it sucks that it's something that will, was just doable, and it's just a publicity decision to remove it. So, you know, from a conversation standpoint, it kind of sucks, but it's kind of like, well, you can still play it on your PS4. You know, I don't think it's honestly a huge deal, but it is Konami kind of just being Konami and just being a bit of a bitch about it. (laughs) Yeah. And just looking at like Konami's output for the last like five years, dude, like it's, bloody woeful it's almost like we had a whole segment talking about konami in the early episodes (laughs) (laughs) i know i know we're just revisiting it it's just like it's quite shocking you know what episode i'm just looking at what episode we talked about if anyone wants to it's quite early on i think it was one of the first five i reckon yeah Um, you you keep talking I'll, i'll find what episode it was yeah so like i'm kind of in the same camp as you where it's totally up to them if they want to do this like do i think it's like, do I see a situation where they say, oh, we couldn't even be bothered instructing Sony to not have it on the store? Yeah, totally. I could just see them saying, well, you can't even get PT anyway. It's not like new people are downloading PT because you literally have to transfer it over for it to even work. 
Um, so so just... we talked about it on episode three, which is the first uh, episode that got put up on YouTube, although I don't know if we've got a clip for that particular segment. but um... No, we do, we do. Because okay. what I did was I got the Konami uh, video conference from E3, the really crazy <laughs> one that they had. Oh, that's the, that's so the B-roll good. for it. So good. <laughs> I, I actually rewatched that whole thing because it made me laugh so hard. Um, but yeah, like... You know, outside of releasing what Super Bomberman are, they really haven't done anything for a long time, and just you know the anniversary collections to make money. Well, they announced um, some stuff at, during the Tokyo Game Show. I think they're making some anime um, action yeah. RPGs and stuff, but uh, sure. nothing, nothing that's gonna you know like excite the industry or sell. Yeah, and let's let yeah, let's not talk about Konami again because I could go down that rabbit hole. But PT, I I never played PT, and. I actually was like, okay, I'll watch a trailer for it. Like, sorry, not a trailer, a gameplay, like someone playing it on YouTube. And man, that game is freaking scary as hell. Like, and I I never really knew that much about PT, but, you know, playing Resident Evil 7, it, it feels very much like the same thing. So I, I didn't know the influence as much as like what you're saying. But so The likely influence, I'm not going to say a ton of thing you've heard, but the likely, uh, sorry, the, the really cool thing about PT is to even complete it, properly it's like it's you it's some like four four breaking stuff you've got a you've you've got to speak into like a microphone like it's crazy like you've just how much they packed into that little playable trailer um mm. like i don't you know K- kojima helms that trailer but i can't say you know if that was all you know he's he's cool ideas or what obviously he's very you know much into four four breaking with you know middle solid and everything like that but uh it was just even to complete it was just crazy like it, you love hearing about when something comes out and no one knows how to do anything and so people like communities on the internet get together and they try to figure it out like fez like the puzzles and fez people like trying to brute force stuff and then you know they they come up with all these ways to try to as a community solve these puzzles and that's what pt was during the first week of of its release so it was really cool um so it sucks that konami have done this but it it's also i mean if they had done this to a fully fledged title that people had paid money for i'd be way more annoyed yeah that's true that's true that's a good point. And I think the fact that it was just a teaser, it wasn't even like a demo really. It was just a teaser for the game. Yeah. It just like almost a concept of like a, you know, vertical slice for the game. And it was like, cause it is such a small, like part of the game in a way, like what they actually had. Well, it probably wouldn't have, that whole part wouldn't have been in the game. It pro- it's from no, more like, yeah, exactly. just as you said, like, like, yeah, like even a vertical slice is hard to say. Cause vertical slice usually assumes that, that kind of is it's taking something from the game you know like and representing mm. it this we don't know like we have no idea what silent hills would have been um so yeah yeah and looking at the timeline so that's august 2014 when it was publicly released pt um and then resident evil 7 came out like three years later almost probably did have a bit of an influence on it to be honest a lot of people talked about it back then um but i just mm. don't know if it was ever officially confirmed i don't think Capcom would come out to confirm it if it was the case but yeah yeah it's interesting it's interesting you know because they were making resident evil 7 before that game but you do wonder sometimes you play that and then you go oh that's a pretty cool thing like we need to add that you know and that's the game making like that's what it's all about so it is spooky as hell 
you know, I don't know, man, scary games, horror games. It, it, I struggled, dude, seriously. I watched that PT gameplay. I wasn't even playing it. I watched it. And then I went downstairs and I couldn't find my son. I was like, where the hell is he? Where is he? Like, you know, and he's like three. And I opened the pantry and he was hiding behind the apron, <laughs> but he just moved around really slowly. And it actually literally gave me a shock, like a fright. Like I was like, oh shit. Like, and then I was like laughing my ass off so hard oh, with him. Man. And he was like laughing because he thought, well, he did scare me, <laughs> you know? So I'm, 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 you know, pretty weak when it comes to horror games. Like it's freaking spooky as hell and my wife's even worse she can't she watched like the start of resident evil 7 where there's no jump scares there's nothing right and i'm like watch this it's so freaky this game it's like ominous and she started watching it and she's like i can't watch it it's too spooky <laughs> like just the way they build it up like you know it's so artful like it's the same way as i love like vintage horror films where it's playing into your expectations about what's going to happen and when they're going to scare you. And yeah. that's kind of what's scary about it. I remember it. when they first released the demo of um, Resident Evil 7, the VR demo, mm, and essentially oh, you're strapped to a chair in that demo in VR, <laughs> and there's like a person that goes behind you oh, that's God. like covers your eyes and then like, oh my God, like watching people like in VR react to that, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Screw that! I'm never going anywhere near that. Just, just give me, <laughs> give me Astrobot and VR, and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, there's only two VR games I want to play, which are Astrobot and uh, Half Life Alex. And you know, I, you know, Resident Evil Seven is always one like it would be cool, but I can't even play it on the PC. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just think the VR thing that would just spook the hell out of me too much. Um, yeah, and and again, like uh, you know, going into a like a pretty. Uh, heady topic um just concerning uh uh or like as he's legally known brian uh bernstein um so very like unfortunate circumstances um you know passed away this year and you know as always you know they go along with these kind of uh segments you know if you are struggling make sure you do reach out to um you know your country's corresponding um helplines so like in in australia Beyond Blue is one of the main ones that you'd reach out to. But yeah, like we just want to discuss, you know, the situation that's happening uh, with this former streamer, Recful, that his channel is actually still active on Twitch. And I was actually on it the other day and there was still like 160 people on it, which is for for Twitch, not a, not a low number. Like, you know, yes, it's not like the thousands that he would have had previously. And, you know, he was... um a very famous uh wow player like number one in the world actually and would build like you know uh you know characters that basically were not optimal just to prove a point that he's still number one so um quite an interesting character but yeah like it's just such an interesting situation i'm not sure like what your thoughts are about it there's a, there's a bit to get into in this one yeah so he's his channel is still active and it's playing reruns of his VODs or past streams. Um, mm. And initially when you, when, you know, Kotaku had a, a big article on this and when they start talking about it, you're like, wait, what a second. But then when you find out that that's actually what, um, what he had requested um, in the event that mm. anything happened to him is that he wanted his channel to go on. Um, I don't know how specific he got. But um, I'd imagine it probably said by playing, you know, vaults and stuff. And so he's got um, like a lot of big 
Twitch channels. Um, you know, he's got mods that you know that help help out, and they've obviously um, they don't have full access to his channel, but they can at least um, you know assist in in actually getting that stuff to play and and take you know place of obviously what would have been his live streams. Um, so I'm yeah I'm really kind of it, it's yeah as you said it's, it's a tricky thing because. If it wasn't for him requesting this, I w- would have been like, "No, I don't feel that's right at all." Um, mm. But this 100%. is this is this is honouring his his wishes. Which at that point, you you know, what can you do? You you have to kind of you know, if if possible, um, you know, honour his wishes. I don't know what how much work it involves from those mods, and at some point, you know, how long do they have to? Are they burdened? But not burdened, but how long are they kind of you know? responsible for helping out with this uh, maybe they want to keep trying but from that article you know it's pretty tough on them as well because they're obviously huge fans um and to it you know it's i think the the thing i really like about this is that he was very open um and i say this from the article you know i didn't watch him um at the time but um he's very open about his struggles with mental uh, mental health and it's i think you know it seems like it's has a, a has a lot of positives for people that kind of also you know help them be more open about it and obviously raise awareness about mental health problems which are obviously a huge huge issue worldwide um mm. but also there's part of me that's like it, it's it's very strange and especially when you start talking about that you know apparently still has a paid functionality on the channel um and twitch have said that you know wherever possible they will provide access to that to um family members because i'm sure this is not mm. you know it's obviously not probably the first time that a streamer has passed away but uh, i don't know if this is the biggest profile one we've heard about obviously we had Etika, um the nintendo streamer very popular in the smash brothers community you know pass away um i can't remember if it was last year or the year before but i actually used to watch a lot of Etika stuff um so i'm not sure what happened and we should know what probably happens in the event um, when when you know when that happens and and if they pass the details onto the family or not, um, but it does seem a bit odd to me that Twitch just automatically doesn't kind of disable that stuff. Um, but other than that, outside of that whole thing, which is probably a very complicated situation, um, yeah. If if it really helps a lot of people come to grip with you know his passing and also helps provide support um, for anyone that uh, you know struggled for mental health as well as he did. Um, then I think it's a good thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very complicated. So <laughs> it's very complicated. It is, and, you know, Etika was last year, and you know, I definitely think that this, you know, this streamer was, you know, probably the most high profile streamer where this this situation is eventuated, and it's starting to become an all too familiar situation, and you know, probably reflective that you know, the leading cause of death, you know, when you look at, you know, people who are like 16 to, you know, 28 is by, you know, their own hands, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, given that streamers are generally in that demo as well, you know, it's probably, you know, something that, you know, when you think through it probably is not as surprising as it feels. Um, I must admit, like when I saw this without knowing the details, like I did feel like it was in poor taste, uh, at a minimum. And then, you know, you started to learn more about it and it, it's it's vexed, right? It's, you know, massive that the fact that he's like, hey, I want this to continue. Like that that's just something that you need to consider. And then, you know, I don't know what the family situation is, right? Like, 
you know, not everyone's well off and, you know, who knows, maybe it's helping to support his family or, mm. you know, cause you know, he also had, um, a kid from memory. So, you know, like as a dad myself, like that, that's massive, right? If, if that's something where you look at it and you go, well, it's still supporting them. That's critical. Like, you know, what you want to take food out of their mouths because, you know, it's bad taste or something like that. I don't think that's right either. Um, and you see, you see this a lot with, um, you know, the wrestling industry has a lot of people that pass away very young um, for various yeah. reasons. And a lot of the time you'll see GoFundMes and you'll see charity things that are raised in support of the families. So I definitely agree um, that, you know, it's important in that regard um, if there is if there's money flowing to that channel that it does reach them. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that's just so sad and unfortunate and, you know, like mental health is, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we're in a spot where even like me in, in my work, you know, I just work in a, you know, professional company. Um, you know, I've seen a sea change since I started working in, in people talking about this issue, like to the point where people actually are now comfortable enough to say, you know, I need a break. Like I need to like a mental mm. health break, you know, for a month or whatever. Like that's not actually seen as a, you do that and your career's over. Now, honestly still is like at the upper echelons, one of those things where career's not over, but it's probably effectively over if you want to keep moving up the chain. Um, but I mean, compared to what it was before, where it was like, they'd probably try to actively get rid of people mm. in these situations. Um, yeah, it's just such an unfortunate situation and, you know, I, I don't even know where I land on it, to be honest. I, like, it's kind of one that I don't even want to think about. Like, if I was the mods of Twitch, I'd just be like, Jesus, this is this is a tough one to yeah. assess. Going going back to Etika, because um, I don't watch a lot of Twitch streamers, but um, he's one of the few that I have actually watched on Twitch in the past. Mm. And um, I remember, you know, I used to watch a lot of his YouTube content, obviously, his Smash reactions, we, you know, we went through our reactions to Smash trailers. He's a uh, legendary for, you know, for just how excited he got. I remember staying up watching, um, like, an all-night stream he did before the launch of um, Smash 4 and just seeing, like, all the information come out because I had live demos of the 3DS version for the first time. And so mm. I was watching his live streams and everything, and I remember when reports started coming out about um, his his behavior and um the issues he was having uh, i remember actually watching him on twitch a little bit and now i just you know i there's there's that guilt part of me it's like it was almost like watching someone that was in unfortunately the process of kind of you know um losing their way and it's now i can't watch anything from him without kind of thinking about that um and that's where i think it comes back to to wreckful is that i you know i I hope that this doesn't kind of have that impact on people. I hope that, you know, for people that don't want to be reminded of his passing, that they don't have mm. to see it pop up all the time. Or um, I'm sure, obviously, they could unsubscribe, but then they may feel that they're actually letting him down by unsubscribing his channel. So then they'd see his, his stream pop up on the home. You know, I, I'm not sure. I don't use Twitch enough but i'm sure then they'd see that oh this person is live or this person thing is you know oh, yeah, definitely so it's a, it'd be a constant reminder in a situation where you may not want to be but obviously mm. if it's if, if that's honoring what he 
uh, wants. And, you know, for some people, they, they really like this and use it as a celebration of his legacy. Um, then it's a good thing. But I think it is, yeah, it's very complicated. I think it can have both positive and uh, negative impacts on the people that, you know, followed him. But ultimately, um, if they can honor his wishes, then that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah, and I think that's a massive thing with mental health because there's a huge debate just chatting at work to some mental health professionals, not about me personally, but just like that concept. And, you know, we, we have people that present to wider teams and just, you know, there is a debate raging on about, you know, how people talk about it. You know, I think, you know, you and I have been very careful and as delicate as we can be to discuss this issue. And again, you know, if you are struggling with these things, there are places that can help. Um, and, and, you know, one thing I would say is don't just rely on friends. Like friends are important. Family's important, but they're not mental health professionals. And, you know, my brother-in-law, he is a mental health professional and he's had like 10 years of training, you know, like it's, it's not something that you can just, you know, lean on mates and then they can get you through it sometimes. Like some of these things are, there are drivers, deep drivers because of this. And, you know, it's just not something that many people are equipped to help you with. Um, so there are plenty of places, you know, in Australia, Lifeline's one of them, but there is this debate about how people talk about it and, you know, is it positive or negative? Um, kind of being so sensitive about it rather than being more direct about what it is and, you know, the impacts that it has on people. Um, it's a tough one and it, it's a real sad situation. And I do hope with time, um, you know, with more and more people openly discussing uh, mental health issues that people feel more comfortable reaching out earlier and, and hopefully preventing some of these situations from occurring. So yes, um, no, sad situation and yeah, pretty complex one actually. Moving on to the bargain bin. Um, as we, as we do every week, uh, we start with Epic Game Store and our new policy has already had dividends. I don't know if you noticed Swinney, uh, Dragon, <laughs> uh, sorry, Dungeons 3 is free at the moment. Is, is there something interesting about the fact that Dungeons 3 is, uh, free at the moment so there was a game that was shown <laughs> up as being free for this mm-hmm. week last week and normally we'd talk about the epic games that are free <laughs> this week and the ones that are coming up next week and you mentioned you know what i'm sick of mentioning like next week because then we have to talk about this weekend we're just going to talk about what's available like for this week now and i can't oh, wait, 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 wait. before you, you get to the punchline what else did i say uh, you probably don't remember. I also said, and every now and then they change the lineup. Oh. <laughs> I actually said that last week. Okay, every now and then they change the lineup. They might add a new free game, and you know, then we have to talk about it anyway. I was expecting adding. Fresh. I wasn't expecting something to disappear because yeah. I can't see that game anywhere, and I can't even remember what it was called. But I can't see it anywhere. <laughs> well, normally we would have it, <laughs> but I deleted it. Um, yeah, so Dungeons Three is free right now. It's free for the week. Um, and yeah, I can't even remember them what the game was meant to be, but they had another game that was meant to be free and then they pulled it. But normally when they do that, that game will be free eventually. Like, I don't think there's been one single instance where they've done this and it's actually, they've done it many times before. I don't think there's been one single instance where they haven't then made it free eventually. See, I didn't so know that had ever happened. I'd assume that if you put something up there, it's kind of like set in stone. So I didn't realize that that could have changed in the, in the 
Yeah, they've done it a few times. They've done it a few times. And that's that's what I started to get worried about that they're gonna do that on us one week where they say one thing and then they it doesn't it's not free and it's like, oh feels like I almost need to do a correction or something. <laughs> so I'm glad that we didn't <laughs> do it. Like we changed it at the perfect timing. Save so Dungeon Three <laughs> Dungeon Three is free at the moment, it's hard to say. Uh jump on epic and get it now um with switch you had uh, a few games that you wanted to call out yeah so um there's uh, some highlights so first uh uh quest of dungeons is 89 percent off so i actually really like this game it's a little rogue uh very much a rogue like it's there's no persistent mechanics there but you choose a class you enter and it's like you move square by square um explore dungeons and stuff and get to the end after a run really cool so that's 89 percent off until november 26 and it's uh in a st- Australian dollars or Aussie dollars, it's only $1.49. So that's that's really cool. Um, My Time at Porsche. So we talked about the sequel My Time at Sandrock. So My Time at Porsche uh, last week. My Time at Porsche is 75% off until November the 16th. Uh, Yoki's Island Express, which is a cool uh, like pinball puzzle adventure game. Um, pinball Man- Metroidvania. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, 75% off until the 16th. Uh, that's really cool. The room, which is seems to always been on on sale. I'm sure maybe the the other sequels and stuff are, um, but I'll just check this on because I'm playing through it at the moment. So that's the room is 75 percent off until November 16th. That's only a few dollars, I think. That's actually a really cool first person puzzle game where you have to like unlock all these puzzles on a box and stuff. Really, really neat to play on the Switch. The only annoying thing about it is that you can't you have to use touch screen controls. Um, so it's kind of like sometimes it doesn't like the setup that I want to do. I'm like, oh, well, I can't really reach up to use it. So, but uh, anyway. Um, and the last thing I want to point out, and I didn't know about this game, but I've researched it now. Had you heard of Roombo First Blood? No, but I, I'm surprised that they're able to even have that title. I love it. So Roombo First Blood is about a uh, a Roomba that is, <laughs> what? that is like, you have to kill like the the people in the house. It looks so fun. It's 60% off until the 30th of November. Have you got it? No, but I'm probably going to pick it up because it's only like yeah. probably uh, four or five bucks or something. But it's um, it looks really cool. It may end up not being a good game, but just when I saw the, watched the trailer of Roombo First Blood, it's such a funny idea. It's like the Roombo sets up traps to kill the, I guess, the, the residents of the home and stuff. It's, it's a cool, cool well, idea. I always find the Steam reviews to be the most accurate to what I like. And then I always have to adjust it if it's like some political thing as to why they got bad reviews. But it's got a very positive overall <laughs> there review. There you go. So that's good. That's like, that's really decent, dude. Yeah. I don't know so, when it came out. I just saw it as in, you know, maybe it's a new release game or it's been out for years. I don't know. Roombo first uh, played. 2019 last year. Just looks really funny. Um, so it's pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool, actually. I, I still cannot believe they've gotten away with two puns in that name. <laughs> And neither company is like took them down. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Oh. Uh, for PlayStation, we don't really have anything to call out. Like we've already spoken about uh, the games that are on PS Plus at the moment. Uh, Bug Snacks is going to be the one that people pick up um, shortly, so that's going to be interesting. People's reception and uh, Xbox. Yeah, just uh, just one thing for this week for Xbox. Uh, so we've got a, a big uh, addition to Game Pass as part of their new. Uh, joint relationship with EA Play. 
think it's EA Play. They keep mm. changing the name in the past. Um, yeah, I think it's EA Play now. Is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is available oh, so um, from the tenth, so in a couple of days. Um, now, I so you mentioned so this is definitely on the Xbox uh, console Game Pass. Um, I was confused. I was trying to find if it was on PC Game Pass as well. Um, so it's coming to the Xbox Game Pass for PC and for uh, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate um, in December. So okay. a lot of these titles are coming in December. So Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and also Doom Eternal is supposedly coming in December as well to PC. Okay, so, so maybe we'll just mention it um, when that comes up in that week that oh, it's available on the PC one. We as definitely well. will because yeah. I'll be playing them. Yeah. <laughs> so like this... This is probably the first... This is a real test. I've got a three-year trial and test with uh, Game Pass Ultimate. <laughs> um, this is probably the first one where I'm like, oh, you know, it's that good kind of like, oh, this game's coming. It's the kind of... It's in that game that, like, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. You know, obviously that's been challenged in the last, you know, five years, six years um, with <laughs> recent movies that are coming out. Mandalorian's are fantastic, so that's kind of getting me back into it. But... It, it you know, it came out. Everyone said it's a really great game. You know, it's one of those games that you probably add an extra point just because of Star Wars, if you're a big fan of Star Wars. And it's just also the kind of game I'm not going to go buy. You know, like, I, I, I can't explain it. It's just, you know, I don't know. Just It's not the kind of game that will get me past a threshold to go, yeah, I will buy it, but I know I'd like it. And it's basically and, Metroid Dark Souls. What can, what can go wrong? Yeah. No, exactly. And then now the fact that it's and mixed in within Uncharted, but you know the fact that it's um, free as part of you know, and when I say free, it's a part of the the lineup of Game Pass is just awesome. And I and you know it's this experience of uh, it's coming out. It's like okay, cool. And I think the way I need to approach it is because they go off, I probably just need to go. All right, I'm going to start playing it when it comes out. So or I near to that. I have a question about this and i don't know if you know if it's the case i guess i'll be able to check on the 10th but to access this game do i have to let's say sign up and hand over my details to ea that's what i want no no uh oh it's a good question actually and the thing is it wouldn't stop me from playing this game I just wonder if, like, I'm just curious to know is if part of this arrangement is that you also have to kind of, like, sign up to an EA account to be able to access these particular games. Or is, does it just appear in the Game Pass library and you download it like any other one? I think I mentioned, I kind yeah. of questioned this maybe last time when they we talked about it, but um, I just wonder, that's all. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's really clear at this stage. Yeah. I think it's like it'd be one of those ones maybe we find out when it actually yeah. comes out, you know? Yeah. So there's also a couple of just quick PSAs about some server shutdowns. Um, I generally talk about these in regards to Xbox. So, um, yeah, I'm not 100% about the PS PlayStation side, but we've got um, World of Tanks on Xbox One. The servers are shutting down on the 7th of December. So if you're keen to, I guess, you know, get the most out of that game while you can and, you know, possibly get all the achievements and you've got until 7th of December to do that. And also Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, both the regular one and the Game of the Year edition, which is separate um, SKUs and achievement lists for Xbox One. Their servers are shutting down on 31st of December, but it's only one achievement that's affected. Um, so one of those versions, I've actually got to get to that point to get that achievement. And um, that's just, hey, 
you a friend someone on your friends list has died to a certain enemy so that enemy reappears in a map and you can get vengeance on them so it's just that kind of part that uh that you lose access to or at least from an achievement standpoint so just a couple of psa's mm-hmm. there okay and, and just going back to the ea play stuff like we'll know that pretty shortly but i just read through skim through the t's and c's it seems the way they've written it that it, it's just going to be a part of the game pass like you don't need to do anything extra Okay. But you'll be able to test that out um, in the next few days, actually. I, I, I wonder if there'll be sneaky, yeah, terms of service have been updated. You click agree, and as part of that, it's like we will be sharing your information to EA. I reckon that's probably well, the way they'll do it. Yeah, I'd be kind of surprised if they don't, like given it's EA. Like EA is one of those publishers that, you know, is on the extreme end of the kind of capitalist model. Yeah. And they're just like, hey, it's free data. You know, I'm, I'm always shocked that... Um, in Epic, you know, in Epic, when you download the free game, the default is you don't send your details to the developer or publisher. Yeah. Like, I can't believe that's the default. Like, I always double check it because I feel like they're going to flip that that switch one day and I'm not going to notice it. <laughs> and it's like, it's, an, it's a double negative or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, like, but yeah, it's it's interesting and... We'll be able to check that out, but I, I'm I'm I cannot wait to play Doom Eternal and um and Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order on uh, Game Pass Ultimate. So, but on PC on the superior platform, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how that goes when that happens. And um, let's let's uh, get into a, a special where we thought you know this episode wouldn't run that long, so we can we can do a special. <laughs> <laughs> Never happened. Never um, happened. I know. We might need to not fly through it, but um, so it's our top three most underappreciated games. So we we each have a top three. So I guess it's like a top six, really. I yeah, (laughs) I'm calling it a top three. I will say that it's while we're saying top three, uh, like for me, it's probably more like three of my most, if that makes sense. I I kind I kind of wanted to represent different things as part of this list. So oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so we'll get to it. We'll get to it. And, and you know, I you know, so again, we 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 don't we we often do this, and it can cause a lot of drama or not drama, a bit of hilarity at the time. We <coughs> we have not shared like what each other's <laughs> lists are. Um, so I, like I actually said, oh, what happens if we have the same game? And you said, no, there's no chance of that. So, okay. Oh, so um, very, very was... unlikely, you know, it's not, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, the other one is, you know, we had this discussion, uh, you know, before going live around underappreciated versus something like underrated and, and it's very much underappreciated. So the way I would think about that is, you know, it maybe you could even almost argue something like control could turn into that where it rated very highly. Hmm. It has not sold well. It still hasn't sold well. And who knows, maybe in 10 years time, if it doesn't have a remake or anything, I'd probably put it in the underappreciated category. Yeah. And the way I kind of like in my head, I think of it as is that no one really talks about these games, especially there's, there's definitely one on my list that no one ever talks about, but Okay. It's like it's just no one really talks about these games. They just don't come up randomly in conversation. They don't come up in many lists that you see on the internet. Um yeah. and you know, like I'm yeah, so like and these could have been, you know, critically rated high or low or medium, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. It's more like I just don't hear people talk about them. I just don't think they get any credit um in the general, you know, discussion of gaming, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's very timely because, like, what I want to talk about, I feel like the the games that I've picked, so, like, I feel like they're all underappreciated and they're just not in the conversations that I think they should be. And I think it's unfair at times. And I think it's sometimes, for me, about convenient narrative for people where they kind of want to skip over it because it doesn't help a neat story that they want to tell about something without sort of having the nuance that is actually there. So, and it, it, you know, for me, it's not really actually top three, like in order kind of like, it's a bit rough. Like I would, yeah, I kind of even when I'm thinking about it now, like not even sure if it would be in this order that I'm going to present it, but do you want, do you want me to open the batting? Twenty. Yes, I should learn to unmute before I reply. Um, (laughs) Yes, Uh, kick us off. All right, Uh, so you can't see my screen, but you will be able to see this on YouTube, but I'm going to talk to it anyway. My, not number one, I'm just going to say one of my top three uh, most underappreciated games is Wolfenstein 3D. Wow, okay. Hmm, I'm (laughs) interested to see where you go with this. (laughs) Well, I'll defend this, I'll defend this. So... You know, this is obviously dating me. Um, but, you know, I was playing games, and I was a little kid, like, by the way, but I was playing games at the time, and I remember when Wolfenstein 3D came out, and it was available. Like, back in those days, effectively, it was almost like you'd have demos, and then you'd turn demos into full games. Shareware. Shareware. Love it. And um, so, you know, we got this game as shareware, and then I was able to get a copy of it uh, from a store. I think I still have a boxed version of Wolfenstein 3D, like a PC I, big box I, version. I played this game for the very first time at your house on on PC. Just put that. Mm. And then, like, this is how nuts I got about this game. I actually wrote in to id Software in Texas to get the disc version of Spear of Destiny, which was the expansion pack version. <laughs> And I think I still have those discs. Now that my folks that house. is probably candid for underappreciated as well, if you count that as a separate <laughs> thing. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about it now, like you know, because these were like I think that they did it themselves, dude. Like that they actually printed the discs and know, stuff. Yeah, and wrote on it like from memory. That's how I recall it. Like I wonder how much they're worth now. <laughs> like it's quite a cool piece. I should try to find them. Um, so yeah, I'd like getting you, back to this man, game. like you know, I don't know if you're going to mention, it, but you you were so into that stuff that even when it came to Doom and that, you had like Final Doom and stuff. You had all those things. You were oh you yeah, were like I love them, man. Stuff. Yeah, I loved it. Like that. Even though you know I love console gaming and everything like that, like I just love so much PC gaming. I love the fact that it's like so annoying and so hard to deal with and everything like that. Um, there's just something really cool and magical about it. Oh, okay, I'm just looking. Yeah, these do sell for a lot, actually. Um, and, yeah, so, like, getting back to uh, Wolfenstein 3D. So, I remember, like, when it came out, I was blown away by this game. This was one of the very first, you know, first-person shooter games. And kind of, like, I would argue that this is really the first pers- first first-person shooter. Like, there was Catacombs 3D, there was some other games, but they weren't, like, structured like a first-person shooter. Like, and Wolfenstein 3D, to me, why I've put this as one of the most underappreciated games is because 
when people talk about this era and games and what had happened in games, everyone talks about Doom. And in a lot of ways, rightfully so. But if you actually look at Doom and then look at Wolfenstein 3D, the kind of innovation from like Catacombs 3D and everything else that was out there to Wolfenstein 3D, to me, was more revolutionary than Wolfenstein 3D to Doom. So, Like in terms of what you could do in Doom, like it was elevation, it was a few other things. The setting was really different, which was cool. So is it, but I love the setting of Wolf 3D. It's almost like Demon Souls and Dark Souls. Like Dark Souls Ooh. is the one where you're like Soul Dark Souls, whereas and that's the doom of the of the you know of the the From Software lineup, you know. Whereas yeah, Demon Souls, Demon such... Souls should get the credit. <laughs> yeah, and then project forward. Like people almost don't even mention Wolfenstein 3D. Like they almost like don't talk about it like it's a real thing or anything. Like it doesn't count for some reason. And then. With all the remakes and, you know, like the continuation of that series, which I love and so cool that they've done that, it still, to me, hasn't elevated. It still hasn't, like, you know, got the zeitgeist like Wolf 3D. And, you know, having played through it, you know, I beat the game. I used to draw the maps, which was a very unfortunate process (laughs) because id Software were naughty boys. And when I would draw these maps... And I would draw the boxes and what they would look like. I'm like, huh, this looks like something that, you know, you shouldn't be drawing. Um, <laughs> so, because <laughs> I would love to do that in their maps. They did it quite often. They didn't, they didn't um, have a map in game. They added that in Doom. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's just like this game did so much and I just see no love for it. And if you go back and play it now, it's super playable. It's super playable just like the way that Doom is. Um and yeah, it just doesn't get the love that I think it should get. And I think, you know, some of my titles that I'll talk about, like, did sell well, but I just think the way they're being remembered is, like, a bit harsh. So, that's me for my first game, Wolfenstein 3D. What is uh, your first game? So, my first game is a very obscure PlayStation 1 title called Crime Killer. And I swear, I reckon, not only do I think you probably don't know about this game, I've never even heard of it. Vast majority of people would not know what this game is. I every time I tried to think of this game, for some reason I think of the title Cop Killer, which is a very different thing. <laughs> First of all, it's a cop. <laughs> Second of all, you are playing as a cop in this game, a future cop. Um uh, okay. the reason why I think this is underappreciated, so I don't think this is a game that um is should be considered as a pantheon of a classic PlayStation game or anything. But I remember when I played this game, it blew me away because from a technical standpoint, it's running... So basically, to give some context about the game, sorry, you're you're a future cop that's basically in a, like a future cop, you know, car, and you're going around, racing around um, third-person or first-person, uh, like chasing down drug dealers, completing objectives and stuff, and it's just like a mission-based game. But it runs at a silky smooth 60 frames per second on the PlayStation 1. And if you remember, a lot of PlayStation 1 racing games really struggled, you know, in mm. fact, even to like um, the racing, uh, was it Die Hard 3 and Die Hard Trilogy, obviously anything, uh, you know, Gran Turismo, you know, is, was a step up, but um, that's Gran Turismo. Um, this game just felt so smooth. When you're playing, you're like, wow, this does not feel like a PlayStation game in any way. Like the trade-off is that the visibility is quite um, short. 
But I think it's fine because the maps, and it's like, it's when I say a driving game, you're driving around these little open maps. It's not like you're around a course. And you're kind of, yeah, doing objectives, chasing down people. But from a technical standpoint, like no one talks about this game. It was developed by a developer called Pixel Logic. It came out in 1998. It was also on PC. So I'm, when I'm talking about unappreciated, I think I'm talking specifically about it being a PlayStation game. That mm. it just felt it did not feel like a PlayStation game. Uh, I remember just being like, "What is this?" Like, very few games ran at sixty frames per second that I can remember in that era. Um, it's kind of similar to the feeling I got when I was playing F Zero uh, X on the sixty four, but that's appreciated. You know, no one talks about this game. Like, yeah, I've never even heard not- this game. I'm just looking at gameplay footage of it now. It's like, yeah, it does look crazy actually because it looks like PlayStation graphics, but silky smooth if that makes sense in terms of the frame rate and it actually controls really nicely which um is like goes so it creates this really smooth experience and the reason like i'm not going to spend too long on this the the reason why i think it's underappreciated because it was a little to me it was a bit of a technical marvel marvel to Mm. to have this game but the game itself is is i'd say it's pretty standard i thought it was fun um but i don't think it said it's going to be considered a classic game or anything it's got multiplayer apparently it's not that great from what i've heard i never got to try it but i'd be interested to see if multiplayer runs uh 60 frames split screen or if they drop that down or not um but yeah it's i think uh, it's it deserves to be have more appreciation and that's what this whole feature is um a game yeah. is so obscure no one talks about it um it was published by Interplay, so maybe that's why. <laughs> so, yeah, like I mean, the visibility is like insanely bad, but um, but it doesn't like it might be the worst that I've ever seen in a driving game. It doesn't actually, matter that much with the way the maps are structured, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. everything's pretty close. Um, it's not like you're going super top speed on a highway or anything. You're driving around these city streets, but uh, it, it does look like a mod or something. Like that's the thing to me. It looks like. Someone's modded the game and made it run faster, but kept the shitty graphics, if that makes and sense. But it's pos- that's how the game looks. I would say it's possible that gameplay, I'm not sure if that's that I that I linked for our video use is PC or PlayStation, but I think it's yeah. probably PlayStation. But um I yeah, it's I think it's just something that deserves to, you know, be have more appreciation. Um so yeah, that was my uh my first game. Nice, nice, nice. All right, well, let's get into my next game. So this is one of my top three most underappreciated games. And (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see what you think of this one. Um, So one of my games is uh, Terranigma. Yes, yes. Terranigma, you know, like, you know, this is one of the ones that we definitely wanted to talk about at some stage. And I'd like to come back to it um, eventually. But I guess for context, for me... Still, the Super Nintendo is my favorite console of all time. You know, I have a analog Super NT. There's just, like, something that's... You know, I think whenever you look at people and go, you know, what were you playing when you were, like, 12 to 15? You know, whatever that was, that's typically what your favorite console of all time, if you ask people. Um, and that was kind of around the hitting zone for me. Um, and, and this game, I never owned a copy of this game, and I would love to own a copy of this game, but they're just insanely expensive now. Uh, but you actually own this game and you lent it to me. And I, I um, took a chance on this game. I knew not because like, you just didn't hear anything about this at the time. Mm. I remember seeing it in Target and I'm like, oh, what is this game? It's got, it's it, by Enix. I know Enix made, um, you know, some 
Illusion uh, of Gaia, Time. Yeah, yeah, like at the time, like Dragon Quest wasn't really on our radar, so it was more like, oh, yeah, Illusion of Time, Illusion of Gaia. Like, I remember playing that on an emulator. I didn't own it. Um, I don't even know if Illusion of Gaia came out in, in Australia. It probably did, but uh, yeah. I think it was Illusion of Time over here from memory. Yeah. But um, yeah, so like, and you know, I would always follow and pretty religiously read through all the magazines um, around Nintendo and stuff like that, but... It's funny because now in retrospect, you find out that like that's all just basically marketing material from <laughs> Nintendo themselves. Um, and yeah, so it did come out, Illusion of Time in Australia, and it's known as Illusion of Gaia in the States. Um, but this game, like it, like as with you, I knew zero about it, and you had it, and you lent it to me, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of like, what the hell is this game? It looks really fascinating. And man, I fell in love with this game so hard. It's... How would you describe it? It's kind of like an action RPG. Yeah. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it's an action RPG. Think Secret of Mana and stuff, but you, you, at no point do you stop and bring open like a, a menu of spells or anything. So it's all action mm. part of that. And it's kind of funny because these games kind of fell out of favor. And then if you actually think about it, a lot of games now that were traditionally RPGs are almost like the forebearers or the, you know, the descendants, sorry, of um, these games. Like, Final Fantasy VII Remake is like an action RPG now, in a way, yep. right? It's more on the RPG side, but it's kind of almost closer to this game than it has to do with Final Fantasy VI, in a weird way. Yeah, I um, agree. It's, yeah, it's, these games, like, you know, Secret of Evermore is a huge one for me as well. Oh, uh, such a good one, yeah. Then, yeah, you kind of saw, I mean, there were action RPGs on the PlayStation, definitely not on the 64, really, but, um... It's yeah. It was it, it was the turn based ones that were you know mainly mainly getting the attention so, until yeah modern times. Yeah, and then like that was around the time that um, Square <clears throat> bought out Enix and then became Square Enix and all that kind of stuff. Like a few years after this, and you know this game is just like the vibe of the game, the story. There's a huge twist in this game, you know, and it to me the story lands so well. The tone is very distinct and kind of like suits me because it's like a little bit, not dark, but kind of just like off kilter and a bit, you know, edgy or something. And there's something about that that I really like. I feel like this whole game was executed so perfectly. Like the combat, you know, maybe like the leveling system and the the way that whole works. Because even though I can recall... You know, you grind a bit and you become so powerful, you just destroy everyone in this game. Mm. So that's probably one thing that they would have to fix if they ever remade this game. But, you know, going back to the, you know, underappreciated and quite frankly underrated, this game to me, like, I know that it has a bit of buzz and the context really is that this game never came out in the States. So this game came out in Europe, Australia and Japan and has a little bit of a cult following there, but never came out in the States. And it's only through the whole retro movement that people discovered this game. And I always interpreted it that, you know, now people would regard this as like one of the classics, but having looked at it recently, like I actually looked at a top hundred SNES game list and they were including games that didn't get released in the States. This wasn't even on the list of a hundred games for like the SNES in terms of the top hundred. That's insane. That is insane. This is a top 10 SNES game. It is insane, insane, insane to me. And without getting too controversial, I like I honestly just put this game on the same level as Legend of Zelda, 
Final Fantasy VI, you know, the Chrono Trigger, like in that kind of category. Like, and I think I'm kind of running out of games to think of like that would be at that level for me. Um, and the fact that not only is it not, you know, like I'd understand if people said, hey, I think it's a level below that. Okay. But it's not even in the conversation, right? <laughs> it's like not even on the top 100 lists of, of people that I see. It's just, it's criminal, to be honest. And people are sitting on this game. This is one of the games, though, compared to some of those games I just mentioned, like people would just go back to. And it's it kind of feels a little bit modern in terms of the story and everything like that, um, just given the tone is slightly, ever so slightly more adult. Um, and yeah, like this is a game that people should play. And I love this game so much. And yeah, it's definitely a massively underrated game. Like for me, maybe even my number one underrated game. And I, um, yeah, this hundred percent is one of my one of mine as well. But the reason I didn't touch this is, first of all, I expected you may talk about it, and second of all, <laughs> yeah. is that I, while this game is underappreciated, when it gets talked about, it gets credit when it's talked about. Um, so that's true. Yeah, but. One thing I love about this game as well is um, even the Japanese name, which is I think Tenchi Sozo, is means the creation of heaven, heaven and earth, which is such like man that play this game and you'll see why that's cool. Um, but also just to clarify, so uh, while this is an Enix game, it's actually um, developed by Quintet. So for anyone mm, that knows Quintet, so they worked on Soul Blazer. Um, so. SNES, SNES action RPG, Illusion of Gaia and Time, which we just mentioned. And so this is essentially the third game in that trilogy uh, by Quintet. Uh, so really, really cool. If you And definitely if you played Illusion of Gaia, which definitely is much more known, um, then you would love Terranigma. Um, so yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. and having played, and they do consider it um, a trilogy, which is kind of interesting because there's not really strong threads throughout the three games, but... For me, this is clearly the best game in the trilogy. And it's also, just for the context, it's the third game they made, which, you know, often if you're on one platform, you know, you learn a lot and things like that. So a very strange one to me that this game gets slept on and still hasn't got the regard that it really should have. Um, and it, to me, almost 100% is driven for the fact that they didn't release it in the States as to why it didn't get that following. And it was very late in the cycle, I should say as well. Like literally they had the PlayStation and the Nintendo 64 come out when this game came out. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's pretty rough. So that's my second game. Uh, what's your second game? So my second game is a huge favorite of mine. Uh, Tomb Raider Anniversary. Oh, this is interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, this is I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be seriously interested in how you can argue that this is an underappreciated game. Oh, this game. is definitely underappreciated. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Um, so Tomb Raider Anniversary, for anybody that's not aware of the game, um, it was released on a bunch of systems. So originally released on PlayStation 2 and PC, came to PlayStation 3 afterwards and Xbox 360, got ported to PlayStation uh, PSP, got ported to the Wii, um, and eventually I think also wound up on Mac, um, came out originally on in 1st of June 2007, so developed by Crystal Dynamics, who still working on, you know, the game, uh, well, not the most recent Tomb Raider games, but, you know, worked on the Tomb Raider reboot, um, and published by Eidos. And Tomb Raider Anniversary is a remake of the very first Tomb Raider game. 
Um, so, but technically the eighth game in the series, and I love this game so much. Um, I bought this game. So for anyone who doesn't know, Tomb Raider series has been rebooted twice. So you had the first, uh, I think it's four games and Angel of Darkness. Angel of Darkness killed the Tomb Raider series. It was so bad. They waited years and then they released Tomb Raider Legend, which was the reboot. And the Legend Trilogy, which is Legend, which came out in 2006, Anniversary 2007, which I'm talking about now, and Underworld uh, 2008, that trilogy is three of my favorite games. I absolutely love that trilogy. I love it way more than the recent reboots, but obviously the recent reboots are popular. Um, They're fantastic games. They're just... That Legend Trilogy is just it for me. They basically took the mold of... Not only classic Tomb Raider games, but I think Prince Persia Sands of Time, Warrior Within, that kind of really smooth controls, climbing mechanics, environmental puzzles, and then they took they added that all back into the Tomb Raider series and made that that trilogy. And the reason why Anniversary I think is super underappreciated is because no one ever talks about that particular game. Like, I very rarely, a lot of people don't even know it exists. Um, it came out mm. so late at the end of the PlayStation's life cycle that by that point, people had been, you know, they were looking at the PS3 onwards. I actually purchased it full price for the PS- PlayStation 2. That's how much I loved Legend. I'm like, Anniversary just, like, I was so pumped for it. And it is so good. It is, to me, the quintessential environmental kind of you know puzzling game um you know like tomb raider it's the quintessential tomb raider game i lo- i definitely love the first uh specifically the first two tomb raiders but i mean they're janky the controls are tough um especially if you go to it for the first time these days and these games mm. took an anniversary specifically took these new smooth controls and modern controls and then just added it to the first Tomb Raider and and just created one of my absolute favorite games. And what's really weird is, so not only did they release this, obviously, as a standalone title, but they actually released it as DLC for Legend on the 360, at least, as well. So really weird <laughs> release model. Um, so, of course, I bought it there as well. <laughs> of course. But wait, Legend, didn't Legend come out first? It did, but they ended up porting it to the 360 as well. And then oh, they wow, made wow. it... Okay. So- they ported Legend first to the 360 because that was previously on like the, like what the GameCube and the Xbox and all that kind of I stuff. I don't and think then... Legend was on GameCube. I think it was just on PlayStation and Xbox, or at least PlayStation Two. Um, so, but yeah, it's weird. They basically said, okay, anniversary. You can either buy it standalone as its own thing, or you can buy it as add-on DLC for Legend. But That's it was weird. really expensive. We're talking like thirty something dollars per, <laughs> and it was split in two parts. So it was basically the cost of a full t- retail game bought as two separate packs of DLC, but because I had different okay. achievement lists and I love, like, when we talk about series I love complete. <laughs> oh this is where you're nuts. I, no, but I really made it most, <laughs> until the most recent uh, reboots added multiplayer and stuff and my kind of my need, my drive for completing them all kind of dropped. I said, nah, I really need to do this because you had time trials where you had to beat speed run the levels and so you learned the levels. And that's why this game is so good. So for anyone that doesn't know much about it, like this is has some of the most brilliant level design, definitely of any Tomb Raider game. So it took the cool level concepts from the first Tomb Raider and it made it heaps better with great controls. And yeah, it also has my favorite level in any video game ever, 
Um, it was one of my favorite levels mm. in the original, which is St. Francis Folly. Um, so it's set in, in Greece. And basically, after this first big area where you're climbing these big pillars, you enter this huge vertical room. And a lot of people will probably know where I'm getting at if they play the original um, Tomb Raider. And that huge vertical room splits off into four different areas that are based on Greek mythological figures like Hephaestus and Poseidon and Atlas and Damocles and things like that. And But each area has traps and puzzles that are in the theme of those people. So Damocles has swords hanging from the, the the ceiling that will fall down on you. Atlas has this huge globe that you need to run away from. It's just such a cool level. It's my favorite level ever. Um, and yeah, I just, I love that trilogy so much. And Anniversary, the reason why it gets underappreciated is because, well, a lot of people, honestly, the naming is like I think a lot of people get confused between Legend and Anniversary and then Underworld came out and closed off the trilogy, which I did like, but Anniversary just is always forgotten about. Like I just never hear anyone talking about it. And the reason why it's underappreciated for me is because it's I think that game is amazing. And just it just no one talks about it. Um or at least they don't talk about it to the same level that I love it. So I think it's really underappreciated. Um and it also Yeah, it's, it's not it's not a bad one because I just I've, I hadn't heard of this game. I know that like Tomb Raider got rebooted a couple of times, but I think this one's just been squeezed in and then kind of didn't find its own voice. And just looking through, you know, because it, it got pretty decent reviews, but it's actually the lowest selling game in the entire franchise yeah, and, history. And it's such a shame because it out of I've played all of them with the exception of I haven't played the most recent one, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And it's my by far my favorite out of any of the games. And <laughs> it is so good. And it's like, it is the most Tomb Raider game ever because other than probably the first one, because it's just all set in, in tombs and environmental puzzle. There's yeah. no like modern things like you shooting. They're still shooting, but you're shooting against the, you know, the dinosaurs in the Lost Valley area, or you're climbing in the pyramids in Egypt. And, um, and they have the Natla mine section, which was, I think, additional content they added in later for the original Tomb Raider and that's part of this mm. as well just really cool it's got the best voice actress for Lara that did the the uh, Legend trilogy and also uh, the Guardian of Light games those those isometric games so just everything about this game I think is amazing I'd love if they did a remaster trilogy of these three games but with the way that the new the modern reboot sells mm. there's probably no reason for them to do it it'd just be something that I'd really like so yeah and then especially given that you know, like this was the worst selling out of 12 Tomb Raider games. And then Underworld, I don't think is, is critically regarded, right? Uh, I don't... Yeah, I think it got pretty average to maybe okay reviews. I quite like mm. Underworld, but I definitely prefer Legend and, of course, Anniversary. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Not sure if you won me over with that one, but... Uh, oh. I do think the dynamic of like it being the worst selling is quite interesting, a, and given that it's your favorite game. Oh, so, but the fact you didn't know it exists—not that you probably know that much about <laughs> Tomb Raider—it's like no. When you mention this game, most people just don't know it exists, which is a crime because yeah. it's so good. And I think it's also like with Tomb Raider because it's kind of going to be all over the place. Like, and there's so many games, right? Like, in. 25 years that Tomb Raider's been around? Is that about right? 25, yeah, yeah I think. You know, they've got 12 games, so it's a game every two years. That's that's a huge, like, that's a lot. And there's huge breaks in between, you know, like the original mm. set of games and then that the the Legend trilogy and the, the recent reboots. But just 
anyone that loves Prince of Persia Sands of Time or anything like that, like Tomb Raider Anniversary is fantastic. Yeah, nice, nice. All right, well, I'll get into my last one. Uh, and again, they're not in order, but I think this is the most controversial one. So <laughs> well, the last one that I've got uh, in my top three of most underappreciated games is Diddy Kong Racing. Huh. Now, huh. God. this is pretty controversial, this one, because Diddy Kong Racing, I feel like I'm mounting the argument of why I shouldn't include it. Um, <clears throat> like, from a sales perspective, Diddy Kong Racing is actually, I think, in the top 10 of Nintendo 64 games. And it was received well, like, when it came out. But the challenge for me is that no one really goes back to this game and talks about it like, even when I look online to read about this game, there's very little on it compared to, like, you know, other games of that era and, um, you know, similar games like Crash Team Racing slash Mario Kart. And I think, like, ultimately for me, you know, I, I think, you know, as a huge Mario Kart fan, I still feel like there's not enough lessons to have been learned from this game and applied to Mario Kart and then just the kart racing genre in general. And now I know that like Crash Team has, you know, a story mode and that's core to it. But like for me, when I played Diddy Kong Racing, like, man, I got into this game so hard. And, you know, I maybe I'd, I don't know. It's really hard if I was to say, do I think that this is better than any Mario Kart game? But like as an overall package... I'd find myself very hard to say that this isn't better than any Mario Kart game overall because it just gives you so much and it's it's so fun and then like just parking the whole story thing, you know, the game had, you know, hover carts, carts and then like planes as well as part of the dynamics and, you know, boss levels, even if they're simplistic. Um, and then also the multiplayer game was like very diverse compared to pretty stock standard stuff that you had in Mario Kart and I'm kind of shocked that like I hear it every now and then but I don't know I just feel like you know I do actually feel like there's space for multiple kart games on the Switch I mean Crash Team Racing has sold pretty well on the Switch even and like I would love if they rebooted this franchise and you know created a new like even if it was Donkey Kong Racing and I know that this has been like rumored many times and even worked on but I still feel like there's there's a gap there and whether this could fill it like a, a, a second entry in this, this series, it's not a series, it's only one game, but, or if they can take finally the lessons from this game and try to do something a bit different with Mario Kart, which, you know, <clears throat> if I apply a business lens, I don't think they will because look at it, Mario Kart, they re-released it on the Switch and it's the number one selling game on the Switch, <laughs> selling like 28, 28 million copies. So I, I unfortunately feel like, you know, my desire will be unheeded. But uh, yeah, like I, I, I take this as, as one of my most underappreciated games. Yeah, I the thing with this, though, I love Diddy Kong Racing, of course. Um, the You were so like that whiz pick battle at the end was so difficult. So I, I don't know mm. if I ever got the, what are the gold... TT time or whatever it was that you had to get on that yeah. one. But uh, I the thing with this is I do, like, whenever people talk about it, they talk about it super fun. 
But if your argument yeah. is that not enough lessons were learned, so it's underappreciated in terms of its impact on you know, future mm. games and genre, then yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Um, I mean, this game came out and, like, to me, like, and I love that genre, but, like, Mario Kart never evolved. Like, this game to me was, like, like decades ahead of what Mario Kart's done. And, you know, Crash Team Racing, and it's a game that I need to play more, but... You know, yes, there were, like, you know, it was almost like a carbon copy, to be honest. Um, you know, they copied a lot of, from it from two years later, but I just feel like this game was so awesome, and I don't understand why people haven't tried to do more with this. It, you, you kind of saw... It felt like Nintendo were going that direction a little bit more with uh, Mario Kart DS, where they started adding the missions, and, you know, there was more to yeah. it, and then they went away from that again. So it's like Mario Kart DS felt like it had a lot more content if you're just a person playing by yourself, right? Not just having mm. to rely on... Because naturally, multiplayer games are more inherently, you know, games that are really focused on it are more inherently replayable. Whereas from a single-player standpoint, Mario Kart's always been fairly, you know, like... There's not a lot there once you've unlocked everything. Whereas, yeah, yeah Mario Kart DS felt like they were, you know, had more there. And whereas... Diddy Kong Racing felt like a single-player game that you could also play multiplayer. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I agree that there's... I would love... I'd love them to do it with Mario Kart, but, yeah, I'd also love another Diddy Kong game, Diddy Kong Racing game. Yeah, or, like, I would love if they did, a, you know, a mashup or, like, a, you know, a Smash-style version of Mario Kart and added, you know, other races from different genres and then other sort of vehicles. Like, I think that was... One thing that, like, you know, the cancelled Donkey Kong Racing that was meant to come out to the GameCube, like, they were going to use, you know, the animal buddies from mm. Donkey Kong Country as, like, kind of modes of transport, so that, like, they were going to handle differently and everything like that. I don't know. Like, I'm a huge fan of the kart race, the genre. You know, I think I've played every single Mario Kart apart from Double Dash, and when I'm in play, like, you know, get through pretty much 100% the whole thing. Um, and probably Mario Kart DS is my favorite overall. Um, but I, I don't know. I'd really kind of like, I've never been asked the question, but I, I, I'd probably still say that Diddy Kong Racing, I prefer over all of them, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I should go back and play it again, but, um, yeah, just like, it's such a shame to me that that game didn't grow legs and they didn't kind of go on and make further games and, didn't try to do more like that that game tried to do I'd, um i'd love them to start and you started to see with the dlc a bit when they added link and that for mario kart 8 but mm. um the yeah, in England, I'd, yeah. I'd love them to kind of follow the path that uh Sega racing all-stars did where they, they started to really make it much more of a as I said a smash situation where the actual carts themselves are like really representative of games yeah. where people they're from and by all accounts i've I think I've only probably played the demos of them, but the Sig Racing All-Stars, like, those games are really good as well. Um, mm. So uh, I don't know what the single-player content's like in them if they're kind of closer to Mario Kart than Diddy Kong, I imagine so. But, um, yeah, I yeah, I think uh, I think there's space for growth in this in that genre. I really do. Yeah, like, and yeah, this is the last thing I'll say, that to me, you know, I look at it and go, you know, it's a very basic game ultimately, but... They're trying to do something different and people like do love kart racing games. Like you look at the sales of kart racing games, they're crazy for the amount of effort you put in. And 
you know, if I was a developer, like I'd probably go, hey, how do we make like a really different kart racing game where it has like a lot of story and consequences and stuff you can do? Because the mechanics of playing kart racing games, it's just inherently fun because it's so sloppy and a bit like arcadey. And I, I just think there's so much to do there and it hasn't been explored. And for me, you know, eventually when they explore this and plumb this kind of um, genre, I, I feel like people may then eventually turn back to Diddy Kong Racing and kind of go, wow, they were trying to do that kind of stuff, you know, back in like 97 or whatever it was versus, you know, like now we're in 2020 and it feels like it hasn't even evolved much since then. So, so yeah, that's my uh, top three. And then let's uh, get into your last and your your other top three underappreciated games. Yeah, so this is probably my favourite game of these underappreciated. And uh, okay. if there's one thing you notice, I haven't talked about any RPGs in my top three. So, of course, <laughs> of course, I have to have an RPG. <laughs> so, my third uh, most underappreciated game, uh, game is uh, Resonance of Fate. So, Resonance of Fate is otherwise known as End of Eternity in Japan. So, if anyone knows it by that term. But uh, Resonance of Fate was what it's known in the West. So Resonance of Fate came out on PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 uh, originally and then got ported to as a like a HD remaster to PlayStation 4 and PC. Not Xbox One, which is a shame, but oh well. Um, so it came out in 2010, uh, developed by Tri-Ace, who are known for Star Ocean, Valkyrie Profile. They were also working on Final Fantasy XIII, Infinite Undiscovery, which is not so great, but... Uh, it's, and it was published by uh, Sega for the original release and then for the HD remaster by Arc System Works. So Resonance of Fate is just so cool. Like, I can't, like, this game, I, I just wanted, this is the game that I just want to share with everyone. You know, when we talk about underappreciated, <laughs> this is the one that I just want to be everyone. Play this, play this, you know. But the problem with this game is that it's also has one of the biggest diff- learning curves of any game I've ever played. So a lot of what this game... turned The reason why this turned people away is because the combat system, which is my favourite combat system probably in any RPG except for maybe Final Fantasy X, um, mm-hmm. is also super complicated and hard to learn at first. Um, and it makes the game really hard until it clicks with you. But before I get to there, I just want to kind of just set the scene. So this it's set in this world called uh, Basil, which is this giant like uh, structure, like giant tower, and it's essentially the rest of the world. Uh, apparently, it's like a future Earth or something has like been poisoned by the atmosphere. So this huge tower is like a purification system, and the way it works is to make people immune to it. They like they link their lives to these stones quartzes, and then. But the side effect is everyone has a set social status and a set lifespan, you know. So it's just from a plot standpoint setting, it's really cool. It's like steampunky everywhere. It's basically there's really no grass or trees anywhere. It's pretty much like brick and stone, but it's got this really cool vibe to it. And you play as a mercenary group that does tasks for the citizens uh, of of this basil or this giant tower. Um, And yeah, it's just... From a plot standpoint, I will say it's it's not the strongest plot, but it's it's all about the the vibe and the gameplay. The gameplay is just oh crazy. So that battle system I was talking about, not only is it one of my favorite, but it's one of the most unique battle systems I've ever played. I don't think I've played another game like it since. There may have been other games like it that I haven't played, 
that it's all based on guns and explosives. There's no melee. So you think about a JRPG, there's an, it's all guns and explosives, which already is pretty unique. Um, and the way it works is you've got SMGs that do scratch damage. So it'll like build up this this you know this type of damage and then handguns will then do direct damage so you build up the scratch damage and then you break that uh, scratch damage and cause the real damage with the other type so what you got to do is you've got to mix up your three characters with different weapon types and then explosives break off armor and also do direct damage so it's a really really cool battle system that's all focused on it's called tri attack so it's based on your character's positioning and doing crazy acrobatics in combination with charging up attacks to take out the enemies. And once once it clicks with you, it creates the most stylish, awesome battles ever. It's that's why it's so cool. Like it's actually probably when someone's playing it that really knows what they're doing. And it's probably really fun to watch because of how dynamic and, and crazy the battles get, where you're flipping over bosses behind uh, cover. You know, it's it's pretty pretty intricate. And um, it's it like even to the point your position matters so much that you've got to make your character like let's say you've got your three characters the character you're controlling in that turn you've got to make them run between the other two characters to like get a point and you've got to keep positioning your characters to the point where then they you get enough to like trigger tri attack moves where they all run and do acrobatics at the same time it's just so cool and but the problem is that it's really complicated. Um, so until you learn, and there is like an arena where it tries to teach it to you, honestly, the real thing I can say against the game is that, you know, it needed better tutorials. But once you learn it, it's so cool. It's This game is just awesome. And it's one of my other favorite things about it is, so we talk about guns, uh, like the weapons in the game. So mm. weapon customization is so cool in this. So the way it works is you you get your gun, you put it on like a blueprint, and then you physically attach all the attachments, like the scopes, the you know the barrels, and um, everything physically to the guns on the blueprint. But it's hilarious because you can create these crazy monstrosities. If you want, if you want to laugh, just look up um, Resonance of Fate, like weapon blueprint or something, and you'll see some crazy, stupid looking guns that are awesome. Um, but it's so much fun because as soon as you unlock or you craft a new attachment, you just want to go back and start working and customizing guns. It's really, really cool. And the last thing I'll say about the, the game is, um, the map and the overworld is really unique. So it's like a hexagon grid system. And you unlock through battles and, and through quests, you unlock hex pieces. They're almost like Tetris pieces in a way where it's got like a line of hexes, like four hexes in a row, or you've got like a hex that goes around a corner or like a TP style thing. And then you lay that out to unlock the map and activate nodes and things. And it's really, really cool. I just haven't played anything like it since. Um, and I've, yeah, I've, it's got a pretty good uh, in-game stuff, a new game plus. So there's, you know, there's a lot to keep your attention. Just, I really, really cannot talk enough about Resonance of Fate. And the reason why I think it's underappreciated because people that love this game love it. Um, it's that it just didn't move the needle when it came out. So I remember yeah. when it came out, people were like, oh, this cool new steampunk gun JRPG. And then it just disappeared. So when we talk about mm. games that are kind of lost in the mire that just don't come up, you know, when you talk about, oh, top, you know, RPGs or, you know, cool RPGs, just 
it doesn't come up that often. Um, I would say out of all my three, this is the one that gets the most credit, but I don't think it gets enough credit. So that's why I think it's underappreciated. Mm. I'm looking at the gameplay footage. It does look like really insane. It's crazy. Like it's it looks crazy. like even a crazier version of Bayonetta or something. Yeah, it's which is saying something. It's really cool. And the way it works <laughs> as well is so when you add more barrels to your gun, for instance, it allows you to charge up more of the circles as you're running. So it's not like you run and you mash the button. You're actually waiting for the charge ups and then let go at the right times. Like it's actually really challenging, but it's really. Um, what's the right term? Like, you get a lot out of it. You know, you feel like you've actually won the battle. Rewarding. Or yeah, rewarding. It's really rewarding. Mm. Yeah, Great. Nice. nice. So, just to summarize, so uh, my top three in no order was uh, Wolfenstein 3D, Terranigma, and Diddy Kong Racing. And your top three was Crime Killer, Tomb Raider Anniversary, and Resonance of Fate. Um yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting just to have a deep dive on on underappreciated games, and it, it's always I don't know about you, but just like looking through and thinking through it as well, it, it's interesting how some games have changed in opinion in terms of they kind of almost have become okay that is recognized and loved um, versus I think all all of these games probably don't get the amount of love that they deserve. All right, well, I think that does us for this week's episode. It's quite a lengthy episode. Um, if you do want to help us out, uh, make sure you reach out to us at uh, on Twitter, Big Week Pod, or in the comments at YouTube. Uh, if you do want to see the show grow, make sure you give us a five star review of your on your podcast service of choice. Um, it is going to be a really exciting couple of weeks, really, with all the next gen coming out. Uh, but with that, I'll say goodbye. See ya.